This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. Entertaining and informative. This is Sit in Friends in the Morning. 77 WABC. There is still no state budget proposal. It's Governor Kathy Hochul's second time negotiating a budget, and now the second time a budget has been laid under her administration. The main sticking point, bail reform. Mayor Eric Adams and the NYPD police commissioner have also been pushing for changes to the state's bail laws in order to tackle repeat offenders. China launched new military exercises taking aim at pro-independence forces in Taiwan. Warplanes and ships cross the unofficial line in the Taiwan Strait, dividing the Chinese mainland and the island. The exercises reflect China's anger at the meeting between Taiwan's President Tsai Ing-wen and House Speaker Kevin McCarthy last week in Los Angeles. Stormy Daniels is speaking out for the first time since Donald Trump's historic arraignment. And get this, she says Trump should not go to prison if he's convicted. I don't think that his crimes against me are worthy of incarceration. I feel like the other things that he has done, if he is found guilty, absolutely. And it's such a great song for so many reasons on this Monday morning. First of all, I just spent the last five-plus days in the United Kingdom. And, of course, we all know that Elton John comes from England. So that, that works. And then, of course, the song itself, The Bitch is Back, that works too. So I think there was one other time where Lewis played that song to start the show for some significant reason. I don't remember. But in this case, it was uh, my beautiful wife, Danielle. We were talking about when I get back on Monday, what should we start with? And she said, well, how about Elton John, the bitches back? That came from her. <laughs> from Danielle, yeah. Pretty funny. Can't make this up, bro. Can't make it up. I shouldn't be shocked anything <laughs> yeah. by this point. We had this beautiful trip, beautiful, you know, our daughter celebrating her birthday. And Gabe had a great time in two different countries. There are five countries, of course, in the United Kingdom. We did two of them with Wales and London, really a, a beautiful trip, romantic, all of it. And then on the way home, she's like, how about the pitches back? I said, okay, great. And I texted Lewis, and, well, he loved that song. So th- there it is. He back. And I am back. I, I got to tell you, the um, the amount of messages 
that I got when I was away was overwhelming. Now, I do want to thank John Katsimatidis. John knows I love him a lot. And I want to thank him for those uh, three days, for uh, helping uh, us get, uh, get past those three days while I was away. So thank you, John, if you're listening right now. But the amount of messages I got was overwhelming. Now, look, I really wanted the listening audience to kind of be with us on this trip. So I posted a lot of pictures from Ava's birthday cake in Cardiff in Wales on Thursday night to our dinner on her actual birthday Friday night in London, the Italian restaurant, to um, a whole bunch of stuff. Me yesterday standing on the River Thames right there, Lewis. In fact, I called Joseph Aboud from uh, where I took the picture because he loves London, he loves Paris, all that stuff. He was like, I'm so jealous. I was just going to say that. I'm, I'm so jealous so of you jealous. right now. <laughs> yeah. I could call up the Sox and ask for tickets. <laughs> well, I'll get to that, too, because the week from today happens to be Patriots Day up in Boston. If you don't know this, that is the day every year they run the Boston Marathon. It's also the only day all year long a Major League Baseball game starts at 11 o'clock in the morning. And that is a week from today with the Red Sox. But the bigger bigger significance is next Monday marks 10 years since the bombings at the marathon. And Joseph has offered uh, me and the show an opportunity to do the show live from Boston that day. Uh, I would actually go for the weekend with Danielle and Gabe and go to the Red Sox game with Joseph on Sunday do the show Monday from Boston, and then go to Fenway Park with Joseph after the game. No-brainer. I texted Katsimatidis and Chad right away yesterday. Still no response. Really no charge to the station because I'm going to get there myself, stay there myself. I guess there's some type of radio fee. I don't know, but who cares? So Joseph did offer that. We'll talk more about that at the end of the week. But he was jealous. It was a gorgeous day in London yesterday. We're getting great weather here this week, huh? 70s tomorrow, 80s on Wednesday, mid-80s. Finally. Oh, my God, it's great. Winter is like six months in New York. I know, it's brutal. It's gloomy and gray. Not a lot of snow this year, not really, really cold, but brutal nevertheless. So we we left on Tuesday night, and you guys may remember, I got all these messages. Again, thank you to everybody, every picture I posted. And then, of course, uh, during the shows, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, I got thousands of messages. John's doing a great job, but please come home, blah, 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 fine. So Tuesday, you may remember, I had a, uh, a tooth issue. But they had two teeth that bothered me. One was uh, a, a tooth the dentist pulled the Friday before, and the other was a cap that had fallen off the night before. So I did the show on Tuesday, and then you guys didn't hear from me again, but I ran to the dentist. I had a two-and-a-half-hour window between the end of the show on Tuesday morning and my actual trip to the airport, I ran to the dentist, and the guy, the dentist, put another cap on the tooth, the second one. One day, one day, I'm in Cardiff in Wales at a beautiful little oceanside village that Ava took us to called Penarth, and we decided to have a brownie and tea during lunch. One day. And I'm eating the brownie, and once again, it's crunchy. (laughs) I said, I said, Danielle, I said, oh, no, oh, my God, tell me your brownie is crunchy, too. She said, there are nuts in my brownie, but it's not crunchy. What are you talking about? I said, oh, no. And then I took a glass of water, and I literally jumped out of my chair through the roof 
and the pain for the last five days has been brutal. In fact, at one point I posted yesterday a picture on my Instagram account, at Rosenberg.Sydney, at Rosenberg.Sydney, of me having pizza, a hot slice of pizza Saturday night in London with Danielle and Gabe, and it hit my tooth, and I wanted to die. So we're going to try it again today for the third time to put a freaking cap on my tooth after the show at 2.15 this afternoon because it's been two weeks of utter hell. Ruined the whole trip. I couldn't eat. Every time I ate between the tooth pulled, which is still sensitive, and the cap falling off twice, it hurt. No matter what I ate, whether it was ice cream, steak, it didn't matter, it hurt. So I'm going back to the dentist today, and it may get ugly. What is what is this dentist using? Rub on glue? I, I don't your, know, man. Cap? I mean, come on. <laughs> this is like elementary dentistry. This is dentistry 101. Put the freaking cap on. I'm miserable for two weeks, miserable. Sounds like kindergarten arts and crafts yeah. using to keep your teeth together. So that was uh, that was brutal. So I got to tell you, I, I, I got to admit something here. First of all, we got a great show coming up today. Five terrific guests, five of them, Curtis Sliwa, Rich Lowry, uh, Gordon Chang, Joe Tacopina, the great writer for the New York Post, Michael Goodwin, all stopping by today. But I'm going to admit something to you folks right now that I probably shouldn't, but I have zero remorse doing so. And you're going to be shocked, Lou, when you two know. So I get on the airplane. Before I get on the airplane, I should say I'm at the gate, you know. And I'm one of these travelers. When I get to the gate, I'm checking people out. That's me. I racial profile like nobody else. And I say that right now with zero apology and zero remorse. I racial profile like nobody else. And if I see somebody sitting in that gate or on that airplane that looks Middle Eastern, I either want to kill him or get off. I'm not kidding you. So I sit there for hours. Like when I go on the train sometimes and I see a bunch of kids that I know are going to start something, I am ready to fight. I Oftentimes, I'm on the train here in New York. I'm ready to fight. That's how I am on the airplane. If I see somebody, that makes me nervous. When you folks are going, oh, come on, Sid, that's not right. I'm telling you, 22 years later, where's Frank Silla when I need him? 22 years later. Any real honest person feels the same way. It feels like yesterday. And I see some guys looking around on an airplane. Like, for example, yesterday flying home, there were three guys, and one of them sat right in front of me, C-23C. And I go to Danielle, I go, I'm going to have to kill this guy. Like, this is serious. I'm going to have to kill him. This is serious stuff. So his buddy, who's sitting about five rows ahead of him, he goes to the bathroom. He comes out of the bathroom and he's nodding to the guy sitting in front of me. They're just nodding. Oh, this had to be and I'm great. going, what the hell is going on here? And I swear to you, for a good three hours, I'm watching this guy like a hawk. He's watching the wing. He's looking behind him. Every time his friend goes to the bathroom, they kind of smile, nod at each other, go, what is going on here? I am ready to kill this guy on the airplane. Ready to kill him. That would have been some news story when you come back. Well, even Danielle was nervous. Rosenberg thwarts <laughs> terrorist attack. Oh, don't think I didn't think about that. Don't think I didn't think about it. <laughs> yeah, David Muir, Lester Holt, <laughs> Sid Rosenberg, number one radio host in New York, thwarts terrorist attack on American Airlines flight from London to New York City. Day spectacular. <laughs> Somebody had to do something. <laughs> so then the guy sitting next to me, he looks over. So I make sure when he goes to the bathroom, so do I. And I walk up there. I go, let me ask you something. This guy in 23C, he making you nervous? He goes, what do you mean? <laughs> I said, I saw you look at the guy. 
I've been watching the guy for three hours. He's not making you nervous? He goes, well, he's a little fidgety, but nervous? No. He goes, are you okay? I go, I'm fine. <laughs> yeah, you're great. <laughs> <laughs> I've been watching yeah. two guys, five so rows. Finally, the, the, the flight was seven hours. So after about five hours, I came to the realization if they were going to kill all of us, it would have been done already. So finally, after about five hours, I was able to calm down. <laughs> I think I slept for 30 minutes. But for five hours, I'm sitting there, my teeth are clenched. I'm staring at this guy going, I'm going to kill him. I'm going to kill him. Do you do that when you fly? Are you? I, I have radar up. All the time, All the actually. Time. Well, do you talk about the tra- on the trains? You're looking, and I tell this to MJ all the time. Do not take your alert down. Do not put your alert down. Right. That's, that's be on constant alert. You have to. That's yeah. a sad thing. Yeah. So you. Sound but I'm like, talking about specifically when you get on an airplane. You sound psychopathic. Middle Eastern. Of course. Yeah. yeah. You sound insane. So you don't do that. Well, no, and I haven't flown in a while anyway. Well, maybe but, that's why. But if I see it's one of the reasons. Yeah. But maybe, yeah. If I saw two guys who looked middle three guys. three guys talking yeah. to each other and yeah. they're nodding and using hand signals. Yeah. You'd be nervous. Yeah, well, if, yeah. well you're you're in a place you can't escape. A right, seven-hour seven hour trip on a plane filled with fuel going over places that I never heard of, mind <laughs> you, because we flew over Greenland to get back to the United States. Like uh, Reykjavik and uh, all these crazy oh, yes. places. So you're near Iceland. You're coming. R- exactly down, right. right. That's how we flew back. Not yeah, far, by the way, not far from Northern Ireland when we got to uh, to the United Kingdom. Yes. But uh, we got back. I'm over water for like four hours. I'm like, they'll never find us. <laughs> well, what about you, Noam? Noam, when you when you travel, do you? Because I'm admitting it right now. If you're mad at me, I don't care. I don't live in your in your uh, woke world. I racial profile every step of the way. You know, and, and usually it ruins my flight. How about you? I, I actually got married six weeks after the 9-11 attacks. Oh, my it, God. Yeah. And so we went on our honeymoon to Italy after that for two or three weeks. Right after and that? I was profiling like nobody's <laughs> business. And, in fact, I there was three guys, and I feel terrible about this because they were doing nothing wrong. See, he says the same thing as me. I feel terrible. I don't feel terrible. But I went I went to the staff, and I'm like, you know, what's up with these three guys? And uh, and they they did check them out because, you know, the atmosphere after 9-11 attacks was what it was. Of course. I, I'm, I'm like you. I definitely look around just to make still, sure. Still, right? Still, right? Of course. 22 years later, and I'm looking at these. These guys like, this mother effer is going to blow this plane up. Yeah. I can't believe he's looking at the wing. Why are you looking at the wing? What's on the wing? What's on the wing? <laughs> right. <laughs> and he's probably like daydreaming or, you know, <laughs> he's not thinking about anything. No, oh my God. no he's talking, thinking about how his Peace Corps uh, days are going. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm sure <laughs> right. it turns out this guy's like the nicest man God right. ever created, yeah. like the most peaceful guy, you know, probably sits with the Dalai Lama or something. I don't <laughs> know. Going home to take care of his sick family, probably. Right. There's nobody there. And he's like, oh, wow, God. I think if I can get them into this home, uh, they might. Might survive my mother and father, and meanwhile, Sid's going to terrorize. I'm going to kill him. Yeah. Yeah. So, so we, uh, so Wales. I must tell you, my daughter goes to a college, Cardiff in Wales, and it's a lovely little university. It really is, and, and it's a great little town. It's great. We flew into Heathrow Airport on Tuesday night, and then you take a train. You go to Paddington, to be exact, and you hop on an express train, and it takes about one hour and fifty minutes to get from uh, London to Cardiff in Wales, where Ava goes to school. And we had a couple of really nice dinners. I saw her university. I met some of her teachers. Where she stays, it's called her accommodation. Not her dorm room, not her apartment, her accommodation. Nice place, cute, nice gym. I worked out there on Friday morning, and uh, it was really, really nice. It really was. And then we took the train back to London on Friday, 
to celebrate Ava's dinner. And then Saturday morning, my 19-year-old daughter did, uh, I think what most daughters did, she got out of there. She hopped on a flight with two of her girlfriends and went to Spain, Ibiza. She uh, spent the last couple of days on the beach and left me, Danielle, and Gabriel in London. So Danielle and I took a bus tour around London for three hours. This was sad, you know, my daughter left. And so we did three hours of sightseeing, Buckingham Palace, uh, Westminster Abbey, all these uh, unbelievable places, just absolutely beautiful. By the way, I didn't see too many smoke shops in London. I did not see people walking up and down the street smoking weed in London. I did not see all that many homeless people in London. And I was in the Fidei area, like here in New York. We stayed in the theater district. In fact, right at our hotel, same exact block, they had Mamma Mia. They had Tina, the play about Tina Turner. And they had The Lion King all on the same block or around the block from our hotel. And it was clean and pristine and gorgeous. I took the subway uh, twice in London. It was clean. It was pristine. It was gorgeous. And those rail expresses I took back and forth to the airport, you can eat off the floor. So I don't know what the excuse is here. Other than people in the United States are just animals. They don't care. They really don't care. But uh, the more I go to other places and see other big cities, the less patience I have for Eric Adams for Kathy Hochul, for any one of our politicians, any one of the folks in charge of things. You know, don't forget, in London, there's no guns. There's no guns. I don't have to worry in Wales about some guy putting a gun to my daughter's back or walking around the streets of London and getting shot. Now, terrorist, different story, right? You know, the ISIS comes, and and they've got, uh, they do what they do, but that was years and years ago. They can blow up a bomb in the subway. They did that. So all that's possible, but there are no guns. Police don't carry guns. The criminals don't carry guns. And it's wonderful. And it would be great if the United States can follow suit. But the problem is we've got hundreds of millions of guns. So the idea we're going to take them off the streets and make New York safe is so insulting. I mean, I think Adams here in New York is taking about four or 5,000 guns off the streets. That leaves about 300 million that they haven't taken off the streets. It is insulting. But, but, there it is, major city, major city, as diverse as New York. You walk down the block, you can meet a person from Italy, from the Middle East, from New York City, from Paris, from Germany, from Italy, everywhere. And uh, it's clean, and you don't worry about crime. You just don't worry about it. And I had an issue with that uh, on the way home because as soon as I landed at Kennedy Airport, as soon as I landed and walked out to the taxi cab with Danielle and Gabe, I saw a homeless person right there at the airport. He said, we're not even in the effing taxi yet. New York is such a disaster. It's unbelievable. Well, you guys have no idea. <laughs> I mean, it's a beautiful city, and we've got all the things you'd want in any city. But you start to compare it to other major cities. And it is, um, it's not good. Now, you know this, Justin. You travel all the time. You go to, um... I studied abroad in London. What was her name? Foreign... <laughs> <laughs> like a Jew on a Monday morning. Quick-witted. Wow. Thank you very much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah uh, what did you study in London? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. For how long? Four and a half months. What'd you think? I loved it. Loved it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I've been waiting to go back ever since. You haven't gone back since? No. Why not? 
I uh, just haven't had an opportunity. Okay, but you did like it. I loved it. Absolutely. I would live there. I would totally live yeah, there. So would I, yeah. in a heartbeat. Noam, you've been to London, yes? Yeah, I had a brother that lived there for six years, so we were back and forth visiting him. Great city. You love that city. Yeah. Now, yeah. Lewis, you've never been anywhere near London. I haven't been to London, no. But you've been to Dublin, right? No, I haven't been to Ireland either. Oh, you haven't? Okay. No, Italy. Yeah. 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 That's it. Even the taxi times. drivers, uh, Danielle makes a good point. She's texting me right now. Even the taxi drivers in Wales and in London, just so sweet and nice and respectful. Now, on a very anecdotal note, the few taxi drivers that we did have in both Wales and London, not huge Donald Trump fans. <laughs> in fact, they hate him. One guy, and we'll wrap it up with this, is going on and on about how he thinks Joe Biden is doing a great job with the Ukraine war. And he was a very bright guy, very bright guy. And I said, okay, you think Biden's doing a great job? I said, let me tell you why he's not. He started the war. Donald Trump was president for four years, and there was no Ukraine-Russia war. So Joe Biden takes over. Stop telling me about the deaths in Afghanistan. Putin was just waiting for an opportunity. He was going to do it at some point, no matter what. And the war starts. How can I give Joe Biden credit for doing a good job with the war when basically he's written Zelensky a blank check for the Ukrainians when Donald Trump was president for four years and there was no war? I mean, we're going to talk this morning to Gordon Chang at 8.05 about Taiwan and China. That thing is heating up to a very, very alarming place. And that never happened. So don't tell me Joe Biden is doing a good job when, in fact, he's created all of this. You know what the guy said? Yeah, you're kind of right. Oh, I see your point, yeah. Dantelio. <laughs> Cheerio. <laughs> yeah, he said Donald Trump was unpredictable. I said, call him what you want. I don't care if he was unpredictable, crazy, stupid. The fact is, we don't have all these issues around the world and in this country that we've got right now. So with that said, we wrap up the first segment of the Sid Rosenberg, Sid and Friends return. Again, huge show coming your way today. Curtis Sliwa, he'll be here at 7.05. Rich Lowry, always great on a Monday morning, the editor of the National Review. He'll be here at 7.40. 8.05, we'll talk to Gordon Chang. 8.25, Gnomes Nuggets. 8.40, Donald Trump defense attorney Joseph Takapina. 9.05, the brilliant writer from the New York Post, Michael Goodwin. And some more stories from Wales and London with the Rosenbergs. Monday morning, folks. Glad to be back. If you had an accident, trust Gabu Law, personal injury and medical malpractice attorneys with decades of experience who will provide the attention you deserve and deliver the best possible results in the shortest amount of time. Gabu Law has recovered millions for their clients, and they will be able to help you. But don't take our word for it. Read their five-star reviews from former clients on Google, Avvo, and Facebook. Call Gabu Law today, 800-560-0214 for a free consultation or email them at info at gabolaw.com. That's G-A-B-O-Law.com. Gabo Law, where winning is no accident. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Oh. This is is sit in friends in the morning. Seventy-seven WABC.
hit. You know, even the cabs in New York got back last night from the airport. So now the deal is, you know, they won't open the doors until you pay. They lock you in the cab until your credit card goes through, which is really gross. I mean, they got me, Danielle, and Gabriel in the back seat of the car. We're clearly going to pay coming back from the airport. But, you know, there was an issue with the with the machine and the meter and, and all this uh, nonsense, you know. And in the land of freedom, they lock you in the cab. They don't do that in, in London, I can tell you that. They're, uh, in fact, they're very talkative in London. They like to talk to you. One of the uh, things that uh, we found ourselves doing before we get back to the news of the day was Saturday night, we got back to the hotel. We were tired. We had been there for four or five days and, again, running around Wales with Ava and London with Ava and Gabriel. So when Ava went to Spain on Saturday, we had some pizza. And the guy that actually owned the pizza place, this is in a little section called Covent Gardens by the Theater District in London. He was a guy that was uh, born in Costa Rica but spent the last 25 years in Tom's River, New Jersey. Can't make it up. And about five years ago, he left Tom's River, New Jersey, and went to London. And all he and I talked about was uh, sports. He loves the NFL. He loves when the NFL comes to London. He loves baseball. He's a diehard Boston Red Sox fan. Diehard. And we talked sports for a good uh, 20 minutes. We got back to the hotel room, and there's only about 40 channels on the local television. One of the channels had, uh, what is it, uh, Fergie and Andrew. And it was titled, uh, Joe Beningo would love this, What a Disgrace. <laughs> and the other one was the Harry and Meghan stuff. They can't get enough of that in England. By the Goodbye. way, yeah, May 6th is King Charles Third coronation. He's going to take pretty much the same route his mother, Queen Elizabeth, who died last September, took back in 1953. He's going to cut it a little shorter. But his coronation comes up May the 6th with the Queen's consort, Camilla, one of the ugliest ladies God ever created. That is not a very good-looking couple, mind you, Charles and Camilla. But anyway, they, uh, they're going to do their thing on May the 6th. But we found ourselves watching some of this Harry and Meghan stuff, which, as you know, for years, me and Bernie used to rail against this. I couldn't give a rat's ass about the royals. I remember uh, Juliet Huddy would go on and on and be like, who cares? What stupid person wakes up at 3.30 a.m. Eastern Time in New York City to watch William marry Kate? Who does that? Not me. But when you're in Rome, you do as the Romans do. And we were in England on Saturday, so I did as the English do. And I watched it. And, you know, at one point, they've got two kids. It's uh, Harry and Meghan, you know. The uh, little boy's name is Archie. He's the older child. But now they've got a little girl. They're named after the queen. Her name is Lilibeth Princess. And when Megan was about to give birth, because Megan is, as you know, mixed, half black, half white, according to Megan and Harry, there was genuine concern from the royals how dark the baby was going to be, how black the baby was going to be. I'm not kidding you. So uh, Oprah Winfrey actually sat down with the two of these folks, Harry and Megan, and uh, asked about this. So here it is with Oprah, Megan Markle, and Prince Harry talking about the possibility that the baby is too dark. This is cut number four. There's a conversation with you. With Harry. About how dark your baby is going to be? Potentially, and what that would mean or look like. Ooh. 
that conversation <laughs> I'm never going to share. Um, but at the time, at the time it was awkward. I was a bit shocked. Um, can, you, can you tell us what the question was? No, I don't, I'm not comfortable sharing that. Okay. So that brings us to this. <laughs> we'll start rolling in the guests and get to the major topics of the day. Chris Rock, his latest Netflix special, which you have to watch. It is, it is so great. What is he titled that again? Justin or Lewis? His uh, new Netflix special, what's it called it's again? right on the tip of my tongue. I know, mine too. No one would know it either. Let's see. I on. mean, he basically just rails on everything woke. Everything woke Chris Rock team takes aim at. Selective outrage. Selective outrage. So he talked in the piece about Meghan Markle and how the baby may be too dark. Here it is from Selective Outrage, courtesy of Netflix, the great Chris Rock, cut number five. Like, well, what's this girl, uh, Meghan Markle? Oh. Seemed like a nice lady. <laughs> Just complaining. I was like, didn't she hit the light skin lottery? <laughs> hit the light skin lottery and still going off complaining. Acting all dumb like she don't know nothing. Some of that she went through was not racism. It was just some in-law <laughs> So she's complaining. I'm like, what the is she talking about? No, they're so racist. They wanted to know how brown the baby was going to be. They're so racist. They wanted to know how brown the baby's going to be. I'm like, that's not racist. Because even black people want to know. <laughs> Come on now. <laughs> how brown the baby going to be. So there you have it. Uh, Two major admissions in only 36 minutes on my first day back. Sid Rosenberg, I am guilty of racial profiling every time I get on a plane. And I say that with zero remorse, zero, still about 22 years removed from 9-11. And Chris Rock, every black person wants to know how dark the baby's going to be. We've got, uh, again, a bevy of great guests stopping by. Curtis Sliwa, Rich Lowry, Gordon Chang, Joseph Takapina, Michael Goodwin. Also, traffic coming up next and an unbelievable weather week. Right now it's time for the 77 WABC Clip of the Day. Listen to the Cats Roundtable, my guy John Katsimatidis. That's where common sense prevails. It's a great show. Always tells both sides of the story every Sunday morning at 8. And listen anytime on the 77 WABC app. Here, John talks with Ambassador John Bolton. We got Ambassador John Bolton on. How are you, Ambassador? I'm fine. Glad to be with you. It's, uh, it's unbelievable. The administration is just determined to fuel the entire economy on algae and uh, solar and wind. People, I think, uh, average citizens fully understand that the, the growth of the economy, the strength of the economy, is directly correlated to energy. And there's just not enough energy out there if you don't use oil and gas. It's really very simple. This is Sid on Sports. Oh my Sponsored by Fearless Boilers on 77 WABC. Justin Ellick here with your bottom of the hour sports update. Sponsored by Pete Morgan and Peerless Boilers. Go to PeerlessBoilers.com, PavilionTankless.com to find a dealer near you. They are the world's best built boilers. We'll start on the Diamond in Baltimore, where the Yankees bested the Orioles 5-3 to to secure their third straight series win to start the season. Aaron Judge continued his out start with not one but two home runs, including an insurance shot in the eighth to put the Bombers up 5-2. to On the bump, Nestor Cortez moved to 2-0 on the year with five and a third solid innings of work, allowing just two earned runs over four hits. The Yanks will try and keep it going tonight in the series opener with the Cleveland Guardians. First pitch is set for 6-10 p.m. 
Eastern time. And we'll see Domingo Herman get the ball going up against Cleveland's Shane Bieber in Queens. The Mets lost 7-2 in the series finale with Miami after taking the first two contests against the Marlins over the weekend. Carlos Carrasco was underwhelming once again on the hill for New York, unable to get through five innings of work while yielding six earned runs over six hits. The Mets will see if they can bounce back when they open up a series tonight at home against the San Diego Padres. Max Scherzer will be tasked with taking on San Diego's U Darvish at 7-10 p.m., I should say, first pitch. On the hardwood, the season finale for the Knickerbockers didn't quite go to plan with a 141-136 loss to the Indiana Pacers at the Garden. They finished the year with a 47-35 record and the fifth seed in the Eastern Conference. They'll meet fourth seed Cleveland in the first round of the playoffs, set to tip off this upcoming Saturday. As for the Nets, they've got a pre- they got a preview of their first-round opponent in the Philadelphia 76ers, only to get run up by a score of 134-105 to close out their regular season. Yesterday's score, though, is hardly indicative of what you can expect in that first round with no starters on either side of the court playing meaningful minutes in the contest. That series will begin this upcoming Saturday afternoon in Philadelphia and out in Augusta, Georgia. The Spaniard, John Rahm, affirmed himself as the world's number one golfer, winning the 87th Masters Tournament at Augusta National Golf Club. This is Rahm's first career Masters win, adding second of four majors to his career victories list as he won the U.S. Open in 2021. He is also the second player from Spain to win two different majors, joining legend Seve Ballesteros. Local action tonight on the ice for Rangers. They get set to welcome in the Buffalo Sabres at 7 p.m. Also at 7 p.m., the Islanders are out in Washington taking on the Capitals. Here is sports sponsored by Pete Morgan and Peerless Boilers. Go to PeerlessBoilers.com, PavilionTankless.com to find a dealer near you. They're the world's best built boilers. And I'm Justin Ellick on 77 WABC. Talk Radio 77 WABC. 77 WABC. This is Sitting Friends in the Morning. No, I get by with a little help from my friends. I blame you for the moonlit sky And the dream that died With the eagles flying I blame you for the moonlit nights When I wonder why I the sea still trying Don't blame me got a cute text from uh, Leslie Slender, our star in sales. She said, welcome back. Love hearing all of this. You know London has become my second home. Her daughter lives there. She's adorable, by the way. Probably forever home. I doubt my kid will ever return. Uh, speaking of shows, if you and Danielle haven't watched The Crown, which we have, do it. Awesome. I'm a few episodes in and love it, and uh, we love it, too. So uh, thank you for that, Leslie. Danny Bianculo with a nice... Uh, emoji heart message on my return this morning as well. And all the guys, of course, Lou Rafino, Justin Ellick, and my man, Noam Layden. Great to see you guys, too. In fact, there were a couple of times in, in England where I would get on a roll, you know, via breakfast with Danielle, Ava, and Gabe, or at dinner uh, one night with uh, Ava's two girlfriends, and i just break right into Sid Radio mode, you know. Can't help myself. I'm one of those guys where I, I don't really have conversations I do interviews because I'm so good at it. You, know? and, um, you have I, proclamations. Yeah. Come, come out with ex- exclamations. Right, exclamations, proclamations. I do interviews. And, what do you think about that right there? <laughs> yeah. And inevitably my kids are never go, Sid, Sid, Sid. 
You're not on the radio. <laughs> on vacation. Yes. I'm like, I must really miss it. I must. I remember years and years ago, all the issues with drugs and alcohol in my life, and Scott Kaplan, who you guys have met on this radio show a bunch of times, my very first ever radio partner, 1997, Sportsline USA. And uh, he said to me once, he said, uh, when he saw me getting into this, and he said, you love it, don't you? I said, yeah, I do. He said, let me tell you something, Sid. Will all of your problems with addiction, he said, if you ever get fired and can't get back, the drug you'll miss the most is a microphone. I said, oh, stop. He said, trust me. And every time I've been suspended and or fired, he's right. Now, thank God those are way, way in the rearview mirror. But he was right about that. So I find myself doing shows at breakfast on a Saturday morning in London. That's just how much I missed it. So I'm glad to be back. We've got great guests stopping by again. Curtis Sliwa, 705, the editor of the National Review. Rich Lowry every Monday morning at 740. 8.05, Gordon Chang, this Taiwan-China thing really heating up. 8.25, some nuggets with Noam. 8.40, my dear friend, Donald Trump's defense attorney, Joseph Tacopina. And 9.05, the great writer from the New York Post, Michael Goodwin. That is a A-plus guest list coming up. Today, now talking about China and Taiwan, I know you guys know this already, but the Speaker of the House, Kevin McCarthy, did meet with the President of Taiwan in California last week. And our colleague here, our teammate, Larry Kudlow, who does a great show on the weekends, great show, he actually had Kevin McCarthy on his TV show on Fox Business sometime this weekend talking about his meeting with the Taiwan President. This would be cut number 14, Lewis the Speaker of the House, Kevin McCarthy, on with Larry Kudlow, courtesy of Fox Business, cut number 14. Your meeting uh, with Taiwan President Tsai, you said, I believe our bond is stronger now than at any time or point in my lifetime. Today was a bipartisan meeting, Republicans and Democrats united together in a place that symbolizes the freedom and commitment uh, and the bond is only stronger with the president today. Uh, speaker, tell us what's the next step with the Taiwan story. Well, uh, you're correct about how the meeting went. It was it was a very strong meeting. And it, I think people have to realize it was a bipartisan meeting of Republican and Democrat members of Congress. Remember, we created the Select Committee on China. A number of those members were there as well. Um, in this meeting with President Tsai, we had a very good conversation. And looking at where the world currently is, looking at Ukraine, looking at this creation of this new axis of power with Iran, Russia, North Korea, and, and China, you, you, you think back in history in the 1930s, what are actions that policymakers and leaders should have taken so World War II never happened. Well, what we've talked about with Taiwan, and especially when you look at Ukraine, supplying weapons early to deter war from ever happening matters. Having this meeting at uh, the Reagan Library was important with the lessons we've learned from Ronald Reagan. Peace through strength. See, he talked about supplying weapons early could be the key. Now, you know one of the most hawkish guys in government today, very similar to John Bolton, who was on with John Katsimatidis just yesterday. Lindsey Graham, my man out of South Carolina, he was on Fox News this weekend. <laughs> they asked him the question, kind of a silly question. Hey, Lindsey, are you open to sending troops to Taiwan? Lindsey is open to sending troops to Staten Island. <laughs> he doesn't care. He just wants to fight. He wants a war. So, of course, he is. But if you missed it, 
Here was his answer, courtesy of Fox News, Lewis, Lindsey Graham, cut number 16. Chairman McCall discussed with Aisha Hosni there about the possibility of authorizing force and the possibility of sending U.S. Yeah. troops to Taiwan. Do you, yeah. Would you support that scenario? Strategic ambiguity is not working. China, after Afghanistan, believes that the, the store is open, that you can go in and take whatever you want on Biden's watch. So the question for the Congress, should we have a defense agreement with the island of Taiwan? We don't. Should we have one? But, yes, I'd be very much open to using U.S. forces okay. to defend Taiwan because it's in our national security interest to do so. You know, if you listen back to that Kevin McCarthy cut I played before Lindsey Graham, what he talked about, in terms of where Biden is so weak, is peace through weakness never works. Peace through weakness never works. It's all about peace through strength. And whether we're talking about what's about to happen in China and Taiwan, whether we're talking about what's happened for the better part of 14 months with Ukraine and Russia, what happened in Afghanistan, I mean, this Joe Biden is a real sick bastard. He's such a prick. I don't want to hear any more that, oh, he's old, he's declining. This bastard had the nerve last week when I was away to blame Donald Trump for the soldiers dying in Afghanistan. Again, again, the proof is in the pudding. Donald Trump was president for four years. Nobody died there. You know why? Because Donald Trump sent a picture of the map to the Taliban leaders with a little red dot and said, I know who lives here. You're wiping your kids. If one hair is out of place on an American soldier, I'm going to bomb this place. And nobody died. Nobody died. Four years. No Ukraine, Russia. No China, Taiwan. None of it. Little rocket man in North Korea stopped firing missiles. It all stopped. I don't care if you despise Donald Trump. Have at it. But the facts are the facts. None of this was going on when he was president. All of it is going on with Biden. And this Biden had the nerve last week to blame Donald Trump for 13 American soldiers being murdered in Afghanistan because of his, his horrible exit. So John Kennedy, one of my favorites out of the great state of Louisiana, was on with Sean Hannity last week on Fox News, and he talked about how peace through weakness, never works. This, Lewis, is John Kennedy, cut number 13. Now, that's not the only thing that the Biden administration has screwed up. They're never just one or two cockroaches. Uh, President Biden has mismanaged Congress. He's mismanaged COVID. He's mismanaged the border. He's mismanaged crime. He's mismanaged the spy balloon. He's mismanaged the economy. He's mismanaged fentanyl, and he's He's forfeited our energy independence. But his surrender to the Taliban in Afghanistan was especially egregious because it telegraphed, as you pointed out, to China and Russia and North Korea and Iran that he, President Biden, intended to pursue peace through weakness. And peace through weakness never works. Here's one more, John Kennedy, once again, courtesy of my good friend Sean Hannity in Fox News. He compares the surrender to the Taliban by Joe Biden to a very popular, I guess it's not an illness. Well, let him do it for you. John Kennedy, cut number 12. President Biden's report on Afghanistan is a fable. The American people may be poorer under President Biden, but they're not stupid. Uh, President Biden's 
approved ranks right up there with jock itch. There's a reason for that. Uh, it, it's the president's, in part, his surrender to the Taliban in Afghanistan. Oh when was the last time you heard jock itch? Those two words. Been a while, right? Well, since you, probably you had it known back in uh, your day. It was a bad case. <laughs> it was? What it do was. you do for jock itch? Uh, Cream, powder, I guess. Maybe? What is it? Baby powder? Maybe, no, that's got to make it worse. You need some type of cream, I would imagine. Maybe neosporin or baby powder. A neosporin? I don't think that's right. That doesn't work, no? That sounds a little too... I think well, that's for a cut. Well, the good news is is that clearly we've never had it because we have no idea how to treat it. <laughs> uh, some hydrochloric acid should work. <laughs> now you're talking. All right, 1-800-848-WABC. As always, that's the number, one 800 848-9222, Monday morning, April the 10th, as the birthday month continues in the Rosenberg household, Ava's birthday just last Friday, my birthday coming up next Wednesday, the 19th, God is good to me, I'll be 56 years old. When did that happen? Five great guests and more from me, Sid Rosenberg, right here on New York's favorite talk station, 77. WABC. This is Sid and Friends in the Morning. 77 WABC. To the the Hilton in uh, Wales, and um, the rugby team was there. My daughter lives about a mile away from this really big rugby stadium, very popular sport in England, rugby and soccer. But I got to tell you, the American sports more and more popular there every day. Again, a bunch of NFL games every year. I know last year they also played NFL games in Germany and Mexico City, but. The NFL plays at least four to six every year. Baseball, you have the Yankees, Red Sox. Last year, they had the other uh, Cardinals and the Cubs the year after. I don't know who's playing this year. But um, I had no problem finding out what was going on with the American sports teams there. So I was following the match, and I know Pete Alonso is playing great. He's got five home runs already, but five and five when you play the Marlins and the Brewers, not good enough for me. Yankees. I know there's six and three, won all three series, won all three rubber games. Aaron Judge, two more home runs yesterday, now four on the early season. How about Tampa Bay? They beat the A's yesterday 11 nothing. If you're not following this closely, the Tampa Bay Rays are 9-0. and They are undefeated. Every year we discount Tampa Bay. Every year it's the Yankees or the Blue Jays and maybe Boston. The Yankees or the Blue Jays and maybe Boston. This manager in Tampa Bay... Kevin Cash, he may be the greatest manager ever. That team wins 90-plus games every year. Every year. They are an, a World Series contender. Good luck finding anybody who follows the game closely to name three players on that team. Three. And every year, they're good, and they're 9-0. and Am I wrong, Justin? 
No, and they're winning these games like very handedly. Eleven nothing yesterday. I think they're averaging like a, at least a four or five run uh, right? margin of victory. Who are these guys? And, and nobody knows who. Uh, you're right. Nobody I'm, knows. Nobody knows who these you guys know, are. They were a really bad team. Years and years ago, really bad. But they had guys like Fred McGriff on the team, Jose Canseco, Vinny Castillo, Ellis Burks, Andres Galarraga. Those are big names. They couldn't win a game. Wade Boggs was there, too. Now they have these kids. They never lose. Never. And how about my Knicks? They start the postseason Saturday in Cleveland. The only question is, will Julius Randle be there? He took the boot off, but he's still not helping. So we'll see if Randle is ready to go game one against Cleveland. The Nets have the 76ers and the Rangers. Huge game tonight down to two regular season games. They'll host Buffalo tonight, Toronto on Thursday. And don't look now, but the Rangers are just two points behind the second place New Jersey Devils and three points behind division leading Carolina for the top spot in the Metropolitan Division. So the Rangers getting hot late in the year with the hockey playoffs right behind the basketball playoffs. Hour one in the books. Five great guests. Lots more to talk about. New York's favorite talk show. That's me, Sid Rosenberg, Talk Radio 77, WABC. Talk Radio 77, WABC. Is Sid and friends in the morning from our friends 77 WABC. The digital dollar could give the feds control of your money. Get the digital dollar report. Call 1-800-862-6970 and also receive a $1,000 credit from Priority Gold to protect your money. Or just go to digitaldollarreport.com. Please note the information provided does not constitute financial or investment advice. was one of the movies on the flight last night and on the way there as well. You know, usually when I'm taking a seven-hour flight, I'm good for at least a movie, maybe two. But on neither trip to and from London did I watch any movies. Danielle watched The Fablemans last night. She loved it. I've already seen this one. Top Gun 2 was a great movie. Tom Cruise was great. But I did not uh, take part because I was too worried about the guy sitting in front of me. So, <laughs> you know, People say, well... I feel the same way, but I wouldn't say it. I go, well, that's why you're not the number one radio host in New York, because I do say it, and it's uncomfortable, and some may even be offended, but that's uh, that's the job we're in. Anyway, we've got uh, five great guests stopping by today, but this guy, oh, this guy, they don't come any better noon to one every weekday, all weekend long, and he's on this show three times a week because he's that good. 
He is the um, founder of the Guardian Angels and uh, the better half of Curtis and Kuby, the great Curtis Lee. Well, good morning, Curtis. You had to ruin my morning by mentioning Ron Kuby, whose mommy is a commie, right? You just had to purposely do that. I want to applaud Lou, who I normally hate, loathe, and despise for his musical choice. Yes. At the start of the show, The Bitch is Back by Elton John. I thought it was referring to you. He was. The fact that you're back. That's what he was doing. Oh. It wasn't Lou's idea. That was Danielle's idea. Oh. So she took... She knows. Yes. Yeah, so she took Elton John, who's English just coming back from London, and she said, you're the bitch and you're back. So Danielle combined the two, so Lou played it. But if you liked it, that's a Danielle Rosenberg pick this morning. Let me tell you, Elton John, his home away from home is Buckhead in Atlanta. Nice place. My nephew, Evan, my godson, went to Emory University, which is right there in Buckhead. He's been uh, there many times. Did he watch when Ray Lewis, uh, middle linebacker for the Ravens, stabbed those guys over and over and killed them in Buckhead? I was there that night. Oh, you were? No, I didn't see Ray Lewis kill these people, (laughs) but I was at a place that was called Cobalt, C-O-B-A-L-T, the bar in Buckhead, and I was there. It was the Super Bowl between the Tennessee Titans and the St. Louis Rams when Kurt Warner and the Rams and Dick Vermeil won the Super Bowl when Steve McNair hit his wide receiver, Kevin Dyson, who was tackled inside the one-yard line by Rams linebacker Mike A. Jones, and the Rams won by seven. It was a freezing, cold, rainy night in Atlanta, Buckhead, the whole weekend, and I was there for that. Let me ask you a question. What was the name of that gin mill? Cobalt? Cobalt, yes. Uh, isn't that like the uh, shaft, uh, the mine shaft, you know, where you had to go in with chaps and a cowboy hat and <laughs> yeah. you eyeballing other guys who are like right. eyeballing you? Yeah. Uh, okay. That's uh, what it was, yes. It's good to reveal. That's why you like Elton John so much. No <laughs> doubt about it. But the reason that I was thrilled to hear Elton John, while you were away, uh, Elton John sang that song, right, for Marjorie Taylor Greene. Which one? Um, the Bitch is Back. Oh, he did. He, because she eviscerated New York City the way you did when you came back. See, when you go away from New York City and you see how good things are in other major cities like London, and then you come back and you look around, you actually say to yourself what Marjorie Taylor Greene did. She talked about all the garbage, yeah, the yeah. smells, the homeless, emotionally I mean, you, disturbed, you, the dope fiends. You heard me right away take both uh, Adams, the mayor, and Hochul, the governor, to task. I'm going to tell you the truth at the risk of pissing off my friend Eric. I must have mother effed Adams a hundred times during this trip. By the way, I didn't see any smoke shops. Didn't smell weed everywhere. A couple of kids, college kids, were smoking weed in the corner in Cardiff. But you're right. You go to another major, major city, which has a lot of the same things we've got, and there is no reason. There's no reason for the filth and the homeless and the drugs and the guns and the crime and all our politicians do, all of them. Is make excuses. Tag that, Justin Ellick. We're playing that on the Sid Rap uh, this afternoon, 1245. You know, I'm on from 12 to 1. I am going to play that every <laughs> Sid Rap at the beginning of every Sid Rap until you say, stop, no yeah. more, stop. I got to get Eric Adams, Adams well, but, back on, my but friend. That's fine because, you see, here's the difference between me and most radio hosts and most people in the business, okay? They're in, right? So I love Donald Trump from day one. No matter what he does, his duty smells like chocolate. I hate Eric Adams from day one. No matter what he does, he'll never be Rudy. The reason why I'm the best and the most popular, and I just pissed off a bunch of people I don't care, is I take everything on a day-to-day basis. I take every scenario on a scenario-to-scenario basis. I know that. Because so there are days I like Adams and days uh, when I came back, times, I hate them. How many times do I get a text, like five minutes before I'm supposed to come on with you? Yeah. Monday, Wednesdays, and Friday, 7.05. Don't bother coming in 
I thought you an alley. I'm already here. No, sorry. You're getting bumped for John Katzmatidis. Yeah. You always hide behind John Katzmatidis to bump me, right? Because you know I can't say anything. I got child support. What am I supposed to do? Well, at least when I left, I said to Katzmatidis, I said, there are five people that ideally should fill in for me. And you're one of those five. I don't know if you did, did you do any shows when I was gone. Uh, you missed it. I, in fact, will be going to London soon to Canary <laughs> Wharf uh, to get credentials for the Guinness World Book of Records. I just finished 32 hours of 96 hours starting on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. No kidding. So you did this show on Thursday and Friday? One third of the schedule. No, only the first hour. Only the first hour. On Friday. Uh, on, on Friday. Because Thursday I called in. From uh, from London. I was actually in Wales still. I'm sorry. And I spoke to John Katzmatidis, Dominic Carter, and Chad Lopez. That was the morning that John taxed me with setting the world's record. Uh, Guinness, uh, Guinness Book of World Records. Look 32 hours. Wow. But I will tell you, last night as I was on from 9 to 12 to finish that route. Now, remember, that's one-third of the broadcast time. I know exactly what you've gone through because my front tooth was quivering. I've got caps on my front tooth. Wait, this is last night? Last night, quivering. You know how when you start talking and your caps start shaking? Because I've had almost all my teeth knocked out. Gee whiz, <laughs> I wonder why, Curtis. People would try to knock your teeth out. Yeah. So I'm the expert here because I hate dentists. I'm, it's the only people I'm fearful of in my life, right? My father I had a healthy fear of because my father, Chester, would hit me so hard, my mother, Francesca, would feel the vibrations. <laughs> By the way, God bless your mom, high in the sky, April yeah. 10th, her birthday. would have been her birthday if she was still alive. Uh, you know, mothers always make excuses for yeah. you. Your dad stares and glares at you and then hits you so hard. I, I, I will say this. One of the uh, real highlights since I've come back the last seven years was that one night when you and the Guardian Angels took me on the Brooklyn route and then we ended up by going back to your house in Canarsie, and your sweet, beautiful mom was still alive. And I took a beautiful picture, which I still have, of me, yes. you, and your mother by the kitchen table. Oh, she what was a lovely best. lady. By the way, April 10th, and my mother, who also people love in this city, her birthday is April 19th in nine days. So both your mom and my mom, two great ladies, both Aries. Oh, Jews and Gentiles together. <laughs> Remember, Italians and Jews always got a long tail. Always. Irish? No. No good. And let me no explain, good. because this is one time, one time only, that I'm praising my adversary, my enemy for life, Peter King, congressman from Long Island. You're at the point now where you're enemies for life? Well, not today. <laughs> I want to congratulate him because he was responsible for the Good Friday Agreement. Between the Catholics and the Protestants in Northern Ireland. That's true. Belfast, Derry, that had always been uh, just raucous. He's the one. He doesn't get credit. He should be the one getting credit. Now, Joe Biden's over there today, and the Clintons will follow there next week. And, yes, Bill Clinton deserves some of the credit with Tony Blair, who negotiated that well, pact. Peter, Peter King does give Clinton and Blair yes. a lot of credit. Absolutely and correct. Peter King, you don't remember, this is, I think, 1985, he was the Grand Marshal of the parade that year, St. Patrick's. This was right in the middle of the real rough time between the IRA and, and Britain. And he was getting, like, death threats. In fact, when he shook the hand, was it Cardinal O'Connor? Uh, the, the people in Britain, the BBC, called it uh, something like the, 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 the worst handshake ever, something like that. But the fact that the Brits hate him make him uh, a more friendly figure to me. But he deserves credit for today, April 10, 1998. The peace accord that is held up. But let's get to your tooth. 
because nobody is more of an expert. First of all, thank God you didn't go to any dentist over in London. I thought about it. No, they have sweet shops there. That's why Brits have such rotten teeth. I know, they're awful. They really are. That's true. I mean, the idea that they're not pretty people, I I saw a lot of really good-looking people. It was too cold out, so I couldn't see. Yeah, the good-looking people were the tourists, were <laughs> the foreigners, so, right? But I saw a lot of yellow teeth. The and there was worst a dentist down the block no, from my hotel. No, no never, never. <laughs> now, remember, I've been to London. I got stabbed in London in Wandsworth. No, you didn't. Oh, yes, I did. How did you, you get stabbed, stabbed in London? I was speaking to a group of West Indian youth, <laughs> right? And they wanted to know all about Brooklyn. <laughs> hey, Brooklyn, rap music. Just before I started the Guardian Angels there. And they're... they're they're the people who are supervising them, who are on the dole. You know, they get the welfare for 20 hours, and they got to attend to the youth. They came up on the stage, and they stabbed me up. Oh, my God. They had to take me to the local casualty ward, they call it, which is the ICU. <laughs> Stitch me up. I'm thinking, how the hell am I going to pay for this? And then all of a sudden, the Brits said, hey, lad. It's National Health Service. You don't have to pay a dime. I said, but I'm American. He said, I can tell by the way you're speaking. (laughs) Then I went to the old Bailey after they arrested the guy who did it right. They had the judge back then with the powdered wig. The barristers, the lawyers, they do nothing. Your wife there would do nothing. They just sit there. It's the judge who writes everything down in a log. It's the judge who is the inquisitor. He asks the questions. It's the judge who has to stay awake here in America. They're always falling asleep. Right. You know, their clerk has to wait them, wake them up. The guy got 10 years for stabbing me up. He got 10 yeah, years? Yeah, because they don't play when it comes to weapon no, crimes. I, I, I know that. That's why people don't commit crimes there. There are no guns. And if they do something like you just talked about, unlike here, Mr. Mayor, Mrs. Governor, unlike here, they don't uh, feel badly sympathetic for the criminals. They actually uh, care about the victims. Uh, Your friend, uh, Eric, and others, they have veneers. You know, they got veneers on their caps. You know, that's why when they open up their mouth, it's like horse teeth. You know, it shines (laughs) in the dark. I got to help you. You, The cap ain't going to work no more. Why not? It's not. It keeps falling off. Twice, twice. That is an indication that you're going to need an implant. They're going to have to put it. Well, think of Moe. Think of Post Malone. Post Malone, the rapper from Syracuse. Yes, I, I love the song Circles. A million dollars worth of jewelry in his mouth. You're going to have to get a grill like all the homeboys oh, do out there. Oh, you got to cut that out no, now. No, you got to get a grill. <laughs> no, no. And naturally, you got to go to the Diamond uh, Exchange in downtown Hackensack, oh, uh, a commercial that was made in the 1950s that still airs, <laughs> and have all those diamonds and jewels oh, encrusted. Yeah, yeah, you got to get a grill. I, I can't do it. You Let know, me funny tell you, you say that, too, because only this year on New Year's Eve, when my uh, house first flooded, by the way, it's been three months since we've been out of my house, and hopefully we're getting back in the next six to seven weeks, which Cliff is doing a terrific job. But uh, only New Year's Eve of this year, in my hotel at the time, the U.N. Hotel, I ran into one of your favorites from Public Enemy, Flavor Flav. Flavor Flav. I'd like to take that clock around <laughs> his neck and strangle him. And but, then, but he had, he had a gold tooth. Oh, hell yeah, man. They all got it. That's why when they get held up with a gun to the head, the first thing the homie says, I want the gold teeth. I want your grills. And by the way, uh, you're an athlete, right? You tell me the yes. time you used to Very play football, yeah. how you were Basketball. trembling. Yeah. Your father yeah. said, give it to my son. <laughs> give it to my son. Run, 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 run. I'm surprised you don't know the remedy for jock itch, right? What is it? Because when you're putting on your pads and you're ready to go out in the gridiron, your coach will tell you after the game, hey, when you go in the shower there and they're snapping tiles at you when you come out, <laughs> you got to put the Destinex in your tube Destinex, socks. that's what it is. And then put it in your jock strap. Yeah.
Yes, yes. What's wrong with you? Dacinex works on everything. Yes, you got boils. You got a boil on your head. I Put didn't have it. On I, it. I, unlike you, because I didn't sleep with every girl from Kenosha to Kings Highway, I didn't have jock itch. You clearly have a lot of experience with that. Let me tell you something. <laughs> uh, Destinex is a cure for everything in, in life. I'm just surprised you didn't know that. I forgot about it. You're right. Destinex is the best stuff. It oh, is the best it, stuff. It works on everything. <laughs> yeah, if all does. of a sudden you have Ebola, the flesh-eating virus, right, <laughs> yeah. just put Destinex on it. Yeah. You remember the coach with Destinex? Why did they tell you every time you go take a shower with the guys, you're going to get athlete's foot, right? Yes, yes. I was more worried about, you know, soap on the rope, you know, and some <laughs> yeah. guys looking at my tuchus and getting excited. You know, that's what I was worried about. But, Sid, I must tell you, first and foremost, yes. uh, you were with the guy from Tom's River who opened up a pizza parlor there in London. Right in London. Uh, have you been out like 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock at night? Uh, what, what, what time was I there locally? When the, when the pubs close at night. No, I, I go to sleep. Oh, Curtis. my God. <laughs> the guy who shook your hand at 11 is ready to punch you out at 12. Because last round, 15 minutes before, last round, last round. And they start knocking it back. Yeah. They are so blitzed in the streets. In London, oh, in I Birmingham, in Manchester. Yeah, they get where nuts. They get then nuts. they want to fight you. And the only food at night, the two worst foods in the world, fish and chips with lots of salt. We, had, goes a high blood we had a lot of that. Yes. And kebabs. Kebabs, all the packages. We had a lot of that. Kebabs, kebabs. Well, we actually found a a very good Italian restaurant. And don't forget, when we stayed in the theater district, there was an STK Steakhouse. So you're not down to just the the mom and pop That's why England went out and conquered the world looking for good food. (laughs) The food sucks in England. No, it's not terrible because they have American restaurants now. You know yeah, of saying? course, of, of course. Yes. Trust me. Yes. You don't go to England for the food. No. And by the way. Well, they do have one place. It's called the Ivy. The Ivy Asian. It was in Cornip in Wales and England. Oh. Great Asian food. How come you didn't play Tom Jones? You know, Tom Jones is from Cardiff, right? I know that was your hero I, I did that last up. week, yes. Yeah, yes. yes. Tom I actually Jones. sang some Tom Jones, but yes. But where you have to go is to Ireland. You haven't been to Ireland. I have not. Oh, and, 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 you know, the, the map God. on the plane on the way to London, first you got to go through, like, Greenland, Curtis and Iceland, all these, like, Reykjavik, where they had the Olympics. Forget that. Right, but then they get to, like, Shannon, Cork, Dublin. The greenest place in the world. I was in Dublin, Finlock, Kulak, Valley Farmont. Valley Farmont was the high rise. It's like projects here. Guys were trying to stab you. No. I only get invited to all the worst places. Did you get stabbed in Dublin, too? No, 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 no. But they all came up to me in Ireland. They love Americans. You know my cousin, Sean, who (laughs) lives out in Massapequa? I said, no, no, they got American flags, Irish flags. How come you haven't been to Ireland? I mean, get your friend Peter King to take you to the land of era, era. And what's funny, what you just said about the flags is, I said to Danielle, I said, who gives more money to the Brits over the years? In the United States. Damn right. World War II without us, you know, they don't be goose-stepping, right? right. You, couldn't, you couldn't find an American flag. Plenty of Brit flags. They I get that. hate Americans. I, and the Ukrainian flags were everywhere, Curtis. Ukrainian flags everywhere. You must go to Ireland. I'm going. Ireland, Poland, the most friendly towards Americans of any European maybe country. Maybe next year on St. Patrick's Day, and I mean this, I mean this, maybe next year St. Patrick's Day, me, you, and Peter King will do this show live from Dublin. No, no. I was there for a uh, St. Patrick's Day. You will be so disappointed. No, there no, are so down. few floats. Yeah. Yeah. They're all over here for yeah. the parade here. <laughs> They're all up Papa Avenue. Uh, it's great to see you. I did miss you. You're great. There he is, folks. Noon to one every weekday, all weekend long. The genius, the icon, the legend, the great Curtis Lewa. And here he is. 
live not too far from my daughter Ava's University in Cardiff in Wales, the great Tom Jones. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. This is sit in friends in the morning. Friends, how many of us have them? Friends. 40 this morning. I sent uh, Boris and uh, DJT, I call him that now, DJT, a very happy Easter text yesterday. 
So uh, I don't like it when fatos like Chris Christie pick on my guy Trump. But he did it again, courtesy of Channel 7 locally yesterday, cut number 10, Lewis. Joe Biden still sits in the low 40s. He's still got a third of the people, just a third, when you talk about ratings, who say they think he deserves to be reelected in the, in the latest but, poll. But you still think he beats Donald Trump in a general I election. think he's. I think Donald Trump is the only Republican he can beat. I don't think he can beat any other Republican who can get nominated. God, Chris Christie. You know, uh, my buddy Craig Carton used to do a lot of shows with Chris Christie. In fact, at one point, after their days together at 101.5, the New Jersey guys, which was really Carton and Ray Rossi, Carton and um, and Christie went to Westwood One and tried to put a show together in between, right before Craig went away. But if you saw the other uh, story last week, that Craig now is facing a difficult choice, which is really not very difficult between staying at WFAN, where him and Evan Roberts, good buddy of mine, get huge ratings. They beat the living daylights out of Michael Kay and ESPN. They beat his ass badly. So Craig and Evan make up the afternoon show at FAN, but Craig also does the morning show on television on Fox Sports 1. And according to the reports, Fox Sports 1 is willing to pay Craig millions of dollars, millions. Which I got to tell you, I, I, I love Craig. Him and I have become dear friends again. We were friends 25 years ago, had our out. He went to prison. We're great friends again. Every time I see somebody else making millions of dollars, and I'm nowhere near it, it really pisses me off. It really does. But anyway, it's not about me. So Craig has to make the choice between staying at the fan, where they don't pay him nearly that much, not even close, or going to Fox and getting millions. So we know what he's going to do. He's going to go to Fox and take the millions and millions of dollars, and FAN needs a new afternoon show. So uh, start filing your resumes now. Send it to my good buddy Chris Olivero, <laughs> and uh, we'll see what FAN's next afternoon show is. They had a pretty good run there. Mike and the Mad Dog all those years, and Craig and Evan have done a great job, Evan and Joe Beningo, many, many years. So we'll see what uh, what happens next. But my prediction is... Not exactly Nostradamus here. Craig takes the TV money and goes to Fox, and FAN is looking for an afternoon host. Well, I'm going to quote one of your old heroes still. I mean, that is, sounds like an easy decision, but remember, Mr. Imus used to say, when you make a decision based solely on money, it's yeah. not the right decision. Right. It's never the right decision. You can't make it. That's what he said. No, take it from a guy who took some $6 million yeah, from I, some agricultural TV company <laughs> that was He's out of business in about three weeks. <laughs> he took a million-dollar check right in front of us <laughs> I know. at the first yeah. meeting. Never about the there. money. No. Right. Sure. It went right over. It went yeah. right by Rob's nose. I'm uh, never going to re- forget uh, and that. And Rob has never been the same since. No, and, Rob and, and, and listen, Mr. Imus <laughs> is still one of my heroes. And as you can tell over the years, since he's died, I like him more and more. But let me uh, let me go the other route <laughs> and tell you that you only do it for the money. That's, that's it. That's, Nothing that's else matters. I, I don't care how nice you are to me. I don't care how much you tell me you love me, how much you tell me how great I am. Money. Somebody's going to pay me millions. Somebody's going to pay me hundreds of thousands. I'm taking the millions. Yes. Every time. Right. Every time. I'll, qu- I'll quote another of our heroes, uh, Mike Francesa, when I was uh, moving stations. He went... Louis, let me tell you something. Let me explain it. One side always has the hammer. Always <laughs> has the hammer. If they have it, they'll use it. Yeah. You have it, you use it. Right. That's what I got to tell you. Well, he That's has it. a hammer. Him yes. and Chris. 
Yeah. At one point between the FAN money, because they were number one for a long time, and the Yes Network money, because they simulcasted the radio show on TV, they were making upwards of six, seven million dollars, those two guys. Sure. And now, of course, the rumors start is Mike Francesa going to come back to FAN and do afternoons with Evan Roberts? And, of course, the answer to that is there is zero chance. No Zero. Mike's no. done. He ain't yeah. going back. Yeah. They don't want him back. That. It's over. I always yeah, remembered so. he told me that, those little things. No, he's right about that. Yes, he is. Mike, well, very, yeah. very uh, smart man, yes. yes. A lot of wisdom there. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Sit in Friends in the Morning. 77 WABC. Coming up, too, Danielle, of course, just ran Tokyo, my beautiful wife, completing her 39th, and she got the Abbott. But um, I know that, uh, again, Monday, a week from today, April 17th, Patriots Day in Boston, and thanks to my dear friend Joseph Pabood for trying to get the show live from Boylston Street that day, which is the street where the marathon actually finishes. Big day, Red Sox play 11 o'clock, and this happens to be Monday, the 10-year commemoration of the Boston bombings. Danielle actually ran the Boston Marathon for the first time five years after the bombings. Can't believe it's been five years since, but it has been. And then London getting ready for their marathon, which she's also run, Danielle. It's one of the major six. And that comes up two weeks from yesterday, uh, the 23rd of April, and they're already putting stuff in the streets and getting ready for that race. So if you're into that stuff, it's a very exciting, great time of year. Weather is great. Mets and Yankees are playing. Basketball playoffs start this weekend. Hockey playoffs start next week. Tiger Woods walked off the course. That's become par now. And uh, Rich Lowry on a Monday morning. That's what you get. Death, taxes, and Rich Lowry on a Monday morning. (laughs) (laughs) It's a great time of year, Rich, isn't it? Oh, it is. Yeah, can't wait for the, the NHL playoffs. Um, almost as entertaining, I saw Cocaine Bear. I saw it, too. I loved it. Yeah, well, I saw it on your recommendation. It wasn't quite, um, you know, the combination of Dr. Zhivago and Donald <laughs> the Wind that I expected, given your, your high marks. The problem with that movie, it was, like, almost funny so often. Like, right. Almost. <laughs> I know. It was, it was almost funny. It was clearly gory. Like the yeah. first scene when the bear uh, rips oh, the girl's leg off. Parts of it. <laughs> oh my god! But I would still recommend seeing. And of course, uh, from a, I guess, a nostalgic standpoint, that was Ray Liotta's 
very last movie. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's a good airplane movie. Yes. I definitely watch it on an airplane. Well, and I, I had the chance to watch a ton of movies on the airplane going to and coming back from London and I admitted something, Rich, in the first segment, which aggravated my wife, but that's why she's a lawyer and I'm doing this, and that is that um, even 22 years later, I am guilty of racial profiling every time. And when I'm at the gate, when I'm on the plane, if I see people, if I see people that remind me of Muhammad Atta, I want to get off the plane. I swear to God. And there were three of them on the plane yesterday. I go, there's a lot of jet fuel on this flight. There's a seven-hour trip. But, but I know you laugh, but I'm telling you that most people, if they were allowed to, would admit they feel the same way, don't yeah. they? You know, the thing, the thing that I have, you know, I, I did not have a traumatic experience on, on September 11th like, like anyone who had a real one. But I, I was living in an apartment, Union Square and Fifth Avenue, so the, the first plane came screaming down Fifth Avenue. Oh, my God. So still, there's a certain – if uh, I hear a plane, a certain kind of loudness, it, it brings back that, wow. that feeling. Yeah. Well, same with Danielle. I go, you know, don't forget, people like to remove themselves if they can from that day. I talk to Frank Siller every Wednesday. A bunch of my show is sponsored by Tunnel to Towers. I go to their major yeah. events every year. So I'm not even close mm-hmm. to being removed, even though we're going on 20 – yeah, 22 years coming out to September, which is unbelievable. But, um, you know, listen, I, I was away. I was in London. And as I said earlier this morning, and this goes out to the Mayor Adams, the Governor Hochul, major city, right, major city, very diverse. You can walk down the street, see so, uh, so a Muslim person, an Italian person, a German person, major business, all that going on. And yet, Rich, you could eat off the streets. Yeah. No guns. No yeah. crime. What's our excuse? Really? What's our excuse? Yeah. It's it's so sad. You know, uh, I was down in Union Station a week or so ago, and and that place has just been cleared out. They they used to have like a, a restaurant in the middle of the the station, all sorts of seating and shops, and it's it's desolate just because we don't have the gumption to tell homeless people no, you can't sleep here, you can't sit here, uh, move along, and you know we'll get you help if you need it. You know, how hard is that as a society? Instead, we, we're letting our, our public places just effectively be destroyed. Yeah, cause, and cause yeah, we, we won't say that. That's right. And, you know, Mayor Eric Adams a couple of months ago came out with a plan to remove the homeless. His own friends like Jamani Williams laughed at it. They said, it's never going to happen. It's a stupid plan. So nothing's really happened. I mean, he had a plan. He unveiled the plan. But nothing's really happened. And the homeless are all over the subways again. I mean, all over. I saw pictures Easter Sunday yesterday. There were homeless on just about every train. So my question is simple. What are we doing in this city? We talk a lot. We hold a lot of press conferences. But what are we really doing? What are we doing? Yeah, no, no, absolutely. Um, it, it doesn't have to be as grimy. Um, it, it doesn't have to be as chaotic. It doesn't have to, uh, you know, have to ha- have that gnawing, sometimes not all the time, but gnawing feeling, you know, it's unsafe and anything could happen. Um, you know, so so it's becoming kind of a, um, a low-grade version of San Francisco. I, I wouldn't say it's as bad as San Francisco is. Um, but, you know, you, you, you let it go long enough, and, and you're like San Francisco, you're like Chicago. You just, just destroyed what was once a wonderful place. I took the, they call it the underground, the tube in London, the subway, you know. And uh, like I said earlier, you could eat off the floor, and there were no homeless. So I, was, I wasn't nervous. I didn't see anybody masturbating or talking to themselves. Yeah. I mean, none of it. And there's yeah. millions of people in these cities. I don't understand why, uh, why we've let this happen and why we're not really, on a serious note with all the talk, doing much about it. So last time you and I spoke a week ago today was the day before President Donald Trump was set to be arraigned in criminal court here in New York City. That all went down last Tuesday. 
your thoughts? It was a joke. I mean, the, the indictment was a complete joke, worse even, even than I expected. Everyone on the left was like, if, if you doubted this case or said you didn't think there was anything there or was going to involve stretching the law, like, you haven't seen the indictment. Wait until you see the indictment. <laughs> yeah. And then you get an indictment that doesn't specify, you know, it specifies the misdemeanor, you know, the falsifying the records, but doesn't specify what makes it a felony. It just says there's some other mystery crime. It's like Agatha Christie writing, you know, <laughs> something or other happened on the Orient Express. We'll get back to you later about what it was. It's a joke, and it, it likely won't make it to trial. If it does, you know, maybe they get a jury to convict him. I kind of doubt that, and it'll eventually get tossed on appeal. So the whole point of this thing is the drama around it, humiliating him, you know, making the point that the, this time the walls have closed in. And um, it, this is a terrible abuse of the system, and uh, Alvin Bragg should be ashamed of himself. His defense attorney, Joseph Takapina, will join me live coming up at 840. But this, of course, is the great Rich Lowry, uh, just tremendous on Monday mornings, National Review, Political NBC, does all that stuff. So I was away last week, and uh, I became aware that this president, Joe Biden, who, again, I know Bill O'Reilly and others tend to talk about his cognitive decline more than him being evil. I disagree. I think it's a combination of both, and evil may be winning at this point. For him to blame Donald Trump last week, about the deaths in Afghanistan. I mean, I've seen some really low-grade, some nasty stuff. What Joe Biden did last week for me, Rich, in almost 56 years, one of the lowest. Yeah, it's like something out of the Onion or the the Babylon Bee. How possibly can you blame uh, Donald Trump for that? uh, It was an act of discretion entirely. On the part of Joe Biden, and then he, he fouled it up massively. And you know, for John Kirby, uh, who actually I admire, he'll go on Fox. You know, he'll, he'll go go anywhere. But you know, the constant say, "Oh, we're very proud of our, our military and how they handled it." Well, I mean, yeah, th- those are really courageous and effective guys put in an impossible situation by their commander in chief, who just threw this whole thing thing away. And even if you think you know we never should have been in Afghanistan or it stretched on too long, fine. But just throwing it. Wait, entirely at the end. You know, we have this force that's dependent on our air support and and, uh, our maintenance crews, and you just pull all that out and say, good luck. Yeah, I mean, of course they're going to collapse. So the whole thing was a a catastrophe. But they'll literally, I mean, it's not new, right? They'll literally blame anything on Trump. They blame the border on Trump. I know. uh, When they just, the whole point of what they did at the border was ripping up all of Trump's policies. So let's close it out with this. Pure opinion, which, Lowry, you've been around a long time. And I say this really genuinely, I mean this. You're one of the smartest people I've ever met. I mean, a real bright, bright guy. In your lifetime, is Joe Biden, without any question, and if he's not saying, without any question, the worst president you've ever seen? I was, uh, I'm old enough to have lived through, I was a kid, but lived through Jimmy Carter. Um, I, me too. I think the, the country was in a worse place then. Now, there are a lot of echoes of it. Now, uh, with with inflation, with the debacle in Afghanistan, et cetera, but the, I think the country is in a worse place and more more peril then. But we may be rapidly catching up. You know what's funny? I think the country is in much more peril now. But where I agree with you is is the sense of patriotism was worse then because they had the hostages in Iran and yeah. they, you know, we we boycotted the Olympics and people were genuinely embarrassed to be Americans. So I think patriotism worse then, but I think right now the world in much more peril. 
much mm-hmm. more. And, right. and, and, and as Rick Pitino once said, my man, Ronald Reagan, ain't walking through that door yeah, anytime no, that's soon. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, that's the thing. Um, you put your finger on it. The sense of national humiliation was stronger yeah, yeah. back then. But we also had stronger reserves. You know, People cared about the country more, and there was more uh, latent patriotism there wait, waiting to be reignited. And you know, there was that Wall Street Journal poll a couple weeks ago. <laughs> Everything's down. Religious faith is down. Belief in the family and work and patriotism, they're all, they're all down from where they were 25 years ago. And Jeez. that's pretty disturbing. Well, the Tampa Bay Rays are 9-0. Yeah. <laughs> it's one of those things you're like, either they're going to be 162-0 and you don't have to worry about it, or, or they're going to fall back. <laughs> but they're good every year. And, yeah, and, and again, It's amazing. Right? What a franchise. I, I said to Justin Orner, I go, you're going to be hard-pressed for anybody to name three players on that yeah. team. How? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, uh, who's at Longoria is like the only Ray I know. <laughs> by, the way, by the way, he went to San Francisco about 10 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> You proved my point. I can't name a Ray either, and they're 9-0. Anyway, yeah. uh, I can name you because you're great every right. Monday morning. Thank you. I really appreciate it, brother. You got it, pal. There he is, the editor of the National Review. His stuff often syndicated in the New York Post. You see him on NBC, Politico. Just a terrific Monday morning guest, our dear friend Rich Lowry. We are halfway through. It's been a terrific show. Both Curtis Lee and Rich Lowry were great. Three more great guests to come, including Gordon Chang on the other side, Trump's Famed defense attorney, my buddy of 43 years, Joseph Takapina, and the great columnist from the New York Post, Michael Goodwin. All that's still to come on your Monday morning with me, New York's favorite talk show host, Sid Rosenberg, on Talk Radio 77, WABC. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. WABC. Is Sid and Friends in the Morning. 77 WABC. Chairman McCall discussed with Aisha Hosni there about the possibility of authorizing force and the possibility of sending U.S. Yeah. troops to Taiwan. Do you, yeah. Would you support that scenario? Strategic ambiguity is not working. China, after Afghanistan, believes that the, the store is open, that you can go in and take whatever you want on Biden's watch. So the question for the Congress, should we have a defense agreement with the island of Taiwan? We don't. Should we have one? But, yes, I'd be very much open to using U.S. forces okay. to defend Taiwan because it's in our national security interest to do so.
comes the sun is right, staring outside our beautiful windows here on Third Avenue in New York City, starting hour number three of New York's favorite talk show, Sitting Friends in the Morning. Sun splashed, gorgeous Monday, lots of sun this week, highs today about 66, but nearing 85 and sunny on Thursday and Friday. That was Lindsey Graham, courtesy of Fox News, and you know Lindsey, like John Bolton and others, he's a hawk, and he uh, just wants to go to war every day, so no surprise, of course, that he would like to see the U.S. Uh, get involved militarily in what is now becoming a real issue between China and Taiwan. So as we get set to bring on uh, Trump's attorney, my dear friend of 43 years, Joseph Takapina at 840, and, of course, the great New York Post writer Michael Goodwin at 905, we talk now to the best in the business if you're discussing Asia, Russia, Korea, China. Nobody better than uh, Gordon Chang. Follow Gordon on Twitter. He's a great Twitter follow. Gordon G. Chang. Gordon, I'm just back from London, back in New York City. Nice to have you on this Monday. How are you, pal? I'm fine, Sid, and thank you so much. Great to have you. Let's uh, get to the big story, which is the Chinese now, two days of these military drills over Taiwan. I saw something this morning where somebody estimated they saw about 70, 70 Chinese warplanes and 11 ships today in and around Taiwan. That sounds to me, (laughs) and I'm no genius, like uh, China's about to get real busy in Taiwan, yes? Yes, and and this uh, drill that we've seen, they resemble what we witnessed after Speaker Nancy Pelosi went to Taipei last August. These drills follow in the wake of President Tsai Ing-wen of Taiwan meeting um, Speaker uh, Kevin McCarthy in California. And, yes, the Chinese are trying to show that they're serious. Um, But, you know, on the other hand, we've got to remember that um, they do huff and puff, and they are trying to intimidate the United States as everybody else. And their goal, as they've said, is to rule the world. And so at some point, um, as Lindsey Graham says, we have got to confront China, whether it's in Taiwan, whether Guam, which is national U.S. Uh, territory, Hawaii or California. The Chinese have told us what they want to do, and we um, ignore them at our peril. There are folks, we'll get back to the military issue of this, but there are folks that say that we should stop with this favored nation's trade agreement that's been around for a very, very long time. We should just stop. In fact, Kevin McCarthy did discuss that with Larry Kudlow on Fox Business on Saturday. What are your thoughts on that? Well, uh, we should stop trading with China, and we should stop investing in China because they're using the proceeds of our commerce to build a military which is configured to fight America. The Chinese military, they know they shouldn't go to war, but emotionally they want to. And so really what we've got is a situation where why should we um, support attacks on us? I know that that sounds drastic, but on the other hand, what are we going to say to our children and our grandchildren when they realize we had the means to protect them but chose not to do so? You know, they not only, you know, talking about these uh, military drills over Taiwan and the possibility of these uh, trade uh, agreements stopping, which you just talked about. And I didn't realize this, but right after the McCarthy meeting, not only did the Chinese uh, announce some financial sanctions against anybody associated with size 18 uh, with the trip here that he made here, the uh, Saudi president, but they actually imposed a travel ban. Did you see that? Yes, and they've done that before. And, you know, the people who were sanctioned are not going to go to China. 
they probably don't have China business. Um, this is more just theater. It is kabuki. But, you know, China um, does this. Um, they did it after the Pelosi visit. So we can expect every contact that we have with Taiwan is going to be followed by military exercises and sanctions. You know, what Lindsey Graham says um, can actually prevent a war. We have got, um, you know, a lot of people in the Biden administration who said Trump was warlike. But those Biden policies have contributed to, I think, the war in Ukraine, which would not have occurred if Trump were president. In fact, as Trump was president, there was no um, war in Ukraine. Right. Um, so what can I say? I mean, Lindsey Graham sounds hawkish, but on the other hand, he is prescribing things that will prevent war, not encourage it. And I remember when Nancy Pelosi made the trip, and uh, she got even some bipartisan support, even from folks like me who really can't stand her. But it wasn't as hot as it is now. That's what scares me more about this McCarthy visit, is it's been much hotter the last couple of weeks, the last couple of months, as China-Taiwan talk. Back then, it was kind of just starting, if I remember correctly. Right now, this thing is on fire. Yes, well, you have to remember that uh, McCarthy was going to go to Taiwan, um, but Taiwan, in order to appease China, wanted to have the meeting in the United States. So you try to appease China, and what happens? Things just get hotter, as you point out. So you can't appease China. And unfortunately, because we've had these decades of misguided China and Taiwan policy, we've taught the Chinese to be aggressive. So we've got to change our policy, Sid, because what we've been doing hasn't been working. And so we've got to try something new, which is not to say that something new will work, but it is to say it's not guaranteed to fail. Let me give you the worst case scenario. Gordon Chang, the great Gordon Chang. China, these drills become real. And at some point, a week, two weeks, a month from now, they really do attack Taiwan. At that point, financial constraints, all the stuff we've been doing over the years no longer works. We promised the Taiwanese people came straight from the president. If that happens, we're putting boots on the ground. We're in this with you. So what happens? How quickly do we get involved? How dramatically do we get involved? And do you agree that with that likely a real possibility that we need to start weaponizing the Taiwanese with the best weapons possible right now? Yes, we do. We didn't do that with Ukraine, and we can see what happened. Um, so, yeah, we can avoid a war with Taiwan. It's easy. We know how to avoid wars. But unfortunately, we are adopting policy. The Biden administration is adopting policies that are encouraging China to be aggressive. So we're bringing this on. Um, and, you know, history is going to say that China was the aggressor, but that we allowed them to become aggressors. You know, we've forgotten every important lesson from the 20th century. So, of course, the world is falling apart right now under Biden's watch because he's adopting policies that have proven in the past to create right. wars. A lot of Americans feel like our our service right now is maybe at its all-time worst. All these woke agendas and, you know, women and transgenders and all these folks that we encourage now to get more involved in the military. And lots of Americans are nervous that we're at our weakest. Now, some will tell you, oh, stop it. We're still the most powerful army in the world. Nobody can beat us. But if, in fact, it came down to China versus America today, and I don't mean over dramatic, but why not? Gordon Chang, who wins? Nobody wins. I mean, lots, lots of folks are going to die on both sides. I realize that. But are we still the greatest army in the world? Uh, yes, we are, but we're not as good as we look. Um, we're not as bad as the Carter Hollow years. Um, 
which um, the U.S. military was really in atrocious state. But the Biden administration is weakening the U.S. military with those policies you talked about. And if it continues, we are going to be at the Carter hollow state. We would win. There would be horrendous casualties on both sides. You know, we've seen the most comprehensive war games in the unclassified realm was done by a think tank in Washington, the Center for Strategic and International Studies, Um, a series of war games. We win. But as you say, the casualties are enormous. Mm. Tell me about this. I read this, and this goes directly to you, Gordon Chang. Chinese tech companies are exploiting U.S. green energy goals. This comes from a former State Department official. Tell me about this latest uh, development. Well, yes, of course. Um, And China in general is exploiting um, President Biden's uh, green energy. Um, Because if you're going to have electric batteries, um, China controls the rare earth supply chain. And the Biden administration is not doing very much to move that supply chain to the United States. So, of course, we're going to put our future in hock to China um, this is horrible policy. And you've got to remember, yeah, everybody wants clean air. But in order to have clean air, you have to do a damage to the environment. There's a trade-off here. And the Biden administration won't talk about the damage to the environment that is caused by clean air goals. Kevin McCarthy did have this conversation with Larry Kudlow on Saturday and did say that it would be in the best interest of the United States to bring that supply chain back here. To your point, Gordon, But, of course, somebody's got to convince Joe Biden of that. Now, the Russians are at it again. Brittany Griner just came home not that long ago. Lots of Americans are still upset that the basketball player is home and the Marine is still being, uh, you know, imprisoned by the Russians. Now, back on March the 30th, the Russians arrested a journalist, and uh, he is being detained as we speak. And once again, Americans are furious what happens here? Yeah. Um, well, you know, we're going to negotiate. We'll get um, Evan Gasorsich um, back, and the Russians will take another hostage. This was wrong on the Biden administration. You know, I, I of course, want Brittany Griner back, but I also want Paul Whelan, the Marine you referred to. Uh, listen, that was a terrible deal. They got an arms dealer in exchange for a basketball player. We all know she should be here. She's an American, blah, blah, blah. But unfortunately for her, she became part of a political deal, and it was a horrible deal right there with Bo Bergdahl. Yeah, of course, because it was totally foreseeable that the Russians would grab another hostage. And by the way, the Chinese are playing this game as well, so we should get Americans out of China. But the point is, um, you know, you negotiate for hostages. This is what happens. The United States, because, you know, we've got a series of presidents who have been negotiating for hostages, and so, of course, this happens. Um, and the American people should be furious at Biden because he is directly responsible for what is now occurring to that Wall Street reporter. Yep. Yep. You talk about negotiating for hostages again. Barack Obama gets Bergdahl out, who was a traitor. He walked off the base, got seven or eight Americans killed. But, you know, while Jim Foley, God rest his soul, and my friend Stephen and even that young lady, while they were being imprisoned and uh, being raped and, and eventually Jihadi John took both of their heads off, he refused, because I know Shirley Sotlow, she's a good friend of mine, and she begged and pleaded with Obama and that administration to please negotiate to let her, her son Stephen go, and they didn't. And he was the second to be beheaded by Jihadi John after Foley. So that son of a bitch Obama, yeah, no problem with Bo Bergdahl, but three really good innocent Americans, they died the most tragic deaths. So these negotiations have nothing to do with humans. 
It's all about what can they gain, and both Obama and Biden have made horrendous deals. Horrendous. Yeah, absolutely. Incomprehensible. And, um, uh, you know, I don't know what to say, Sid, because I agree with you 100 percent. Bergdahl was one of the low points in American history, and um, one has to assume it was intentional what they did um, because they were determined to free the bad guys and not the good guys. One more thing. There's a, there's a bunch of folks here, including my dear friend Peter King. They think that uh, what happened in Afghanistan was the reason why Putin went into the Ukraine, and I vehemently disagree. I mean, I know the day that Biden beat Trump, Putin was going in no matter what, and maybe that was the time, I don't know. But Putin wanted to do it for four years, wouldn't do it because he was scared of Trump. Once Biden was, he was going in. He, no matter what, he was going in. And then for Joe Biden to blame Donald Trump last week, for that exit and the 13 deaths in Afghanistan, what were you thinking? Oh, I was thinking exactly what you're thinking. Though I do think that if we had a strong president or if Biden were strong, he would have prevented Putin from invading, just as Trump did. Um, but, you know, I agree with you that, um, you know, we're seeing the destruction of the United States position around the world. If you look at Saudi Arabia, the five other countries of the Gulf Cooperation Council, Iran, Brazil, Morocco, America is adopting policies that are severely undermining our position in the world. We are supporting policies of countries that want to attack the United States and consider us to be an enemy. Um, This is uh, unprecedented. And the American people should be furious at Biden for um, what he's doing in those areas and in others. And how about economically? Look what the Saudis did uh, last week. Katsimatidis talked about it with the oil. Lowest stock we've had in 40 years. Gas prices, again, about to skyrocket. They're giving us less and less. And we're dependent on them because this president decided, hey, we don't need the Keystone Pipeline. We don't need to drill here in the United States. I mean, economically, what these countries around the world are doing to us, Brazil and China, both now saying the U.S. dollar doesn't count anymore, it's unbelievable. It is unbelievable. And this is, you know, I don't know if what Biden is doing is intentional or whether it's just misguided. And uh, there's a lot of discussion on that. But the point is, it doesn't matter whether he is working for China because his policies would be the same, are the same as they would have been if he were, in fact, corrupted or blackmailed by China. So, you know, we don't have to worry about motivation. We can see what the results are, and the results are the United States is um, being severely injured by Biden policies. My man, about the motivation, yep. this is really bad. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I mean, he's compromised no matter what. I'm not sure that's the reason why he makes every decision in the morning, but he is compromised, and that in itself, very dangerous. Hey, Gordon, you're the absolute best. I love having you on Thank you for another great conversation. And uh, watching the news, we'll have another one soon, I guarantee you. (laughs) Thank you so much, Sid. This is a really very dangerous time for us, and I'm glad you're talking about these issues. So I appreciate it so much. And I'm glad you're with me. Thank you. The great Gordon Chang. Follow him, folks, on Twitter, at Gordon G. Chang. He's a great follow. Lots more to come. My man, Joseph Tacopina, friend for 43 years, Donald Trump's defense attorney, Last time I spoke to TAC, I was on the way to Kennedy Airport to London hours after Donald Trump was arraigned in New York City. So we'll talk to Tacopina coming up at 840. And then Michael Goodwin, New York Post, coming up at 905. Keep it right here. Sit with you on a Monday on Talk Radio 77 WABC.
seven WABC. This is Sit in Friends in the Morning. No, I get by with a little help from my friends. Some street yesterday in London in the morning. We got up early and Danielle and I got some coffee. We were nervous Easter Sunday. Everything would be closed, but thank God all the coffee shops were open. We decided to walk up to the Waterloo Bridge, and it's a beautiful view of, uh, you know, Westminster Abbey and Big Ben and Buckingham Palace and the Short, all those great spots. And it was sunny, and it was about 60 degrees and a nice breeze. And I was wearing a short sleeve shirt. You can see it again on my Instagram account, at Rosenberg.Sydney, at Rosenberg.Sydney, and Sid Rosenberg, my Facebook account. And I said to Danielle, I took off my Ranger sweatshirt. I said, this is so nice. Uh, you know, it was not a brutal winter here. It wasn't. I think it snowed once, and it wasn't even a legitimate amount of snowfall. And it wasn't minus 10 degrees, but it felt long and gloomy. Like, I didn't see the sun, I felt like, for months. And so I was so happy when I got back to New York last night and saw the weather for this week. Right now, it's gorgeous outside, and it's, it's going to be too hot, believe it or not, on Thursday and Friday, 85. That's too hot for me in New York City. But I'll take it over 40 or 35 any day of the week. But for me, being that I'm a um, tortured soul and a mess, to be honest, a complete mess. That's why I'm great at what I do, but I'm a mess. Bipolar, all that stuff, you know. The weather plays such a huge role in how I feel. See, when it's cloudy and gloomy outside, I think the Chinese are going to kill us tomorrow. When it's sunny outside, I think Pete Alonso is going to hit two home runs against the Padres tonight. And he very well might. You know how the, you know how the ball flies out of there in uh, warm weather. No, how does it? Uh, farther and faster. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, that's why you get the big money. That's why your name is at the top of the list to replace Craig Corton when he goes to Fox Sports 1. As it should be, yeah. Yeah. One more time now, the analysis on why Alonzo may homer twice against the pods tonight. Uh, well, in warm weather, the ball tends to travel farther and faster, yes. Noam Leighton is here this morning with his Nuggets, as he has 825 every weekday morning. Good morning, Noam. You can't Good morning. That. <laughs> I don't think I can, <laughs> no, no matter what I do. Well, it happens to be true. I don't know why everybody's No, no, it happens it. to be true, but just the way you you said it with, you're almost asking a question with zero confidence. No, I like mean, zero. the authority of no one else. That's it. Just oh, that it is? who came up with that one. Yeah. Like, you don't have to worry, bro. McCarthy's, uh, McCarthy, excuse me. <laughs> McCarver's dead. <laughs> and God, Garagiola's dead, I think. And you're good to go, bro. Actually, Keith Hernandez is still alive. And, so. uh, Chris, and Chris Berman's incoherent. <laughs> he is. He is. Uh, Noam, what's going on? Did you miss me last week? I did. Did you do this segment last week? Uh, we did not. Uh, no. Yeah, did they not. don't know how to handle you. That's why, basically. They don't. Yeah. You know, while you were sipping cappuccino on the Thames yesterday. How'd you know I did that? I just took a guess. You're right, though. Oh. That's weird. I was back here. Yeah. Contemplating my death. Suicide. No. Oh. Just like what happens afterwards. After you die? Anybody. 
Well, it depends. I mean, after you die, nothing happens. Maybe not. Right, but if Trump dies, the whole world does. That's, well, yeah, for a little while, anyway. Well, whatever. They'll be written in the history books. Sure. I won't be. No, you may be. <laughs> you never know. You're an all-time radio guy. Oh, yeah, unbelievable. Yeah. <laughs> so I was thinking, do I want to be underground? Like, have you thought about this? Do you want to be, well, like, six listen, feet uh, under? Here's a problem. I have yeah. this fight with Danielle all the time. Right. So you're Jewish. You know that, right? Uh, hold on a second. <laughs> yeah. Yes, you're I very am. Jewish. All right. You uh, cannot be cremated. Now, you can be right. You can Why be, can't you be cremated? You're not allowed. Oh, there's some rule? <laughs> yes, it's, oh. a, it's a Jewish religion. Oh, my God. That, that's in the, them. in the Torah all those years ago? Yes. So can't uh, be cremated? You, first of all, if you have a tattoo when you're a Jew, which is stupid anyway, the old, uh, it's a misconception, it's not true, was that you can't be buried in a Jewish cemetery. But that's not true. But Jews do not, uh, no cremation. So, hmm. yes, you can be buried in the ground or in a mausoleum in the wall, but Danielle only wants to be cremated, and she wants her ashes to be thrown out in Lake Norman in Charlotte, North Carolina, which is going to require me, assuming I'm still alive, which is almost 0%, to fly to North Carolina. <laughs> right. I mean, what are you, nuts? And then the Hudson out. River is just fine. Yeah. Sheep said bay. She won't First time we had sex with my sheep said bay. <laughs> So that's where they're going to spread your ashes. They're going to dump them right on Sheep's Head Bay. Nope. <laughs> right over Gravesend. Why are you asking there? this question? Well, well, because I was thinking, do I want to be six feet under? Um, do I want to be cremated? And then I was looking around, and I remembered, oh, right, I can be cryopreserved. What's that? Like, can you imagine? You have, like, what, a 7-6 rating? Can you imagine? They cryopreserved you. They froze you. And then 50 years from now, oh, hold on. they unfroze <laughs> you. Wait a second. And then you still pulled off another 7-6 share 50 years from now. Well, first of all, yeah. it would have to go up at that point. Mm. But we tried this with Walt Disney. It didn't work. And then Ted well, Williams' head fell off. Ted Williams. His head fell off. We don't know yet. So there's... <laughs> right now, at this, uh, there's Alcor Life Extension Foundation. It's in the middle of the desert in Arizona. Yeah. 199 bodies are in the deep freeze. Is that true? Preserved. Yeah. Remember that movie, Coma? Yeah. Yeah, right. It's back. It reminds like that, me yeah. of that. All those bodies, and they're frozen in the desert. Yes. Wow. And so we checked in with Alcor's president to find out how those bodies are doing. This is Alcor's patient care bay. This is where we have all our patients stored, currently 199 humans, uh, plus almost 100 pets. So they're not really dead, they're just uh, legally dead. Uh, it just means that something critical has failed that we can't fix today. Uh, give them to us and hold them for as long as it takes for technology to catch up and allow them to come back to life and continue living. Yeah, so these people decided that they had died of cancer or something like that, and they made a deal with Alcor. And what Alcor does is in your last couple of days before you're supposed to die, they'll come and they'll have the ice bath ready for you. Then they, they'll transfer your body oh, over on. to their headquarters in Arizona. By the way, Ted Williams' head is, is one of the things that's in this deep freeze. Oh, they have his head. They do. Well, that's good news. And see, it, I, see, I would never want this because, first of all, Humans are supposed to die. That's just the way it goes. But what if, if they brought me back in 50 years, like Danielle's going to be gone. Right. And, and if God forbid, and I say this with such a heavy heart, but what if Gabriel and or Ava, if they're not here, and I had to come back to a world where the people I lived for and loved every day were no longer here, forgetting about all the technology stuff, I'd be scared to death. Like, I'm scared now, and I'm watching it. Could you imagine 50 or 75 years where we're going to be. We're going to have any idea what's going on. 
It sounds awful to me. Yeah, I'd rather just die. The planet's not going to be here, probably. It may not be here anyway. No, no, you, you may be right. But <laughs> if it is here, all these advances in technology, and again, the thing for me is all the people I love most, they're going to be gone. I don't want to be here. Well, even you guys. You guys will be gone. I don't want to be here. Maybe the five of us should do it. And then we'll, do it together? We'll be, yeah, it's not just the five of us? Not my son or my daughter or my we, wife? We, we, just whatever. me, you, you Justin, have, Phil, and Noam? Well, look, we'll, have a, we'll have a group. We can just all do it. It's not expensive. How much is it? It's $200,000 for your whole not body. expensive. Oh, I got that. No, when you think about it in the realm of life, if you're going to come back right. and have a whole nother life, it's not yeah. worth $200,000. Sure. By the way, <laughs> if you just want your head done, because you can do that too. Just the head? Yes, like Ted Williams is just his head. I guess he no. didn't want to pay full price. Sure. <laughs> yeah. so, just for today, we're doing a special. So it's $80,000 for him. And uh, here, here's what happens to you. What about the patient is uh, wrapped this all in a sleeping yeah. bag to protect them in case we have to move them to soak up liquid nitrogen. Yeah. Then they put inside this aluminum pod where they're secured in there, so they have mechanical protection. You can't make this they're up. very much like people in a long-term coma. Uh, so to them, you know, no Come time on. is passing. Yeah, so when you wake up yeah. and they've cured cancer, I don't know, 75 what, what, years what, what, from now. What did he put his head on? Whose body? Well, they'd probably put Ted Williams' well, head on Benny Agbayani's body. Right, or that's what I'm saying. I'm like, somebody had yeah. him, like, imagine. Right, on Bartolo Colon's body. Bodies yeah, will look ridiculous. Let's see yeah. if you hit now. What if you're a Ron Jeremy and you want to freeze your penis? <laughs> I well, so far nobody's done that. Okay, but by the way, so you pay that. <laughs> you pay that two hundred thousand dollars. Everything survived. And... <laughs> your penis is right there. This looks like Sid's penis here, frozen. What are we gonna do with it? <laughs> <laughs> All right, so where do we send the check? Uh, well, so it's eighty thousand dollars. I don't know how much for your penis. It might be cheaper. All right, seven hundred five. Someone has to pay seven hundred and five dollars a year. Maybe you pay that ahead of time, and then right. sixty one dollars a month. <laughs> so if someone stops paying, I guess they they unfreeze you. They unfreeze you. Yeah. Uh, by the way, so here's the big catch: uh, yeah. no cryonics organization so far has brought anybody back to life. They're yet. all still dead. They're all still dead. They're frozen and yeah. still dead. No mm-hmm. one has come back yet. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah. this is uh, something we should all keep our eyes on, folks. Yeah. Thank you for that. <laughs> sure. <Noah. Something. laughs> yeah. We got my buddy of 43 years, a great defense attorney, Joseph Tacopina, coming up next. Then Michael Goodwin, tremendous writer, New York Post as well. Talk Radio 77. Boy, this is Sid and Friends in the Morning. Friends, how many of us have them? Friends. 77 WABC. Specific to my case, I don't think that his crimes against me are worthy of incarceration. I feel like the other things that he has done, if he is found guilty, absolutely. Because a bigger problem is that if these allegations against him or whatever else that we don't know yet. He is found guilty or the evidence suggests that he is or whatever, and he doesn't, that it's going to just basically, I mean, it opens the door for other people to to think they can get away with doing that. Oh, my God. Yeah, that was uh, Stormy Daniels. The good news is she said she doesn't believe this particular crime is worthy of incarceration. She's right about that. The rest of it was why she's a porn star, folks, and not an English teacher. She was on with uh, Piers Morgan. I think he's from London, too. We were, we were probably both in London this weekend, but people love me more than guarantee you that. So my next guest has spent the last couple of weeks talking to the world, and I must say doing a tremendous job in his defense of President Trump. And Tuesday, I'm on the way to the airport. I was in the camp about 4 o'clock with Gene, 
and the arraignment was over, and the New York Post printed a story and put a picture in the paper, and it was Boris, Joseph Tacopina, Donald Trump, Necklace, and the new guy. I've got his name. I don't care. All I cared about was sitting right next to President Trump was my friend of 43 years, the guy that carpooled with me to Poly Prep from Bedford Avenue back in the early 1980s, Joseph Tacopino. It was not part of history. That picture, that's, that's history. That's a big deal. So here he is, I believe, making his first visit to the station since I've gone away. My dear friend Joe Tacopino, is this the first time you're back, Joe? It is, Sid. It's the first time I'm back after the allegations She didn't go to Poly Prep, I can tell you that. The allegations. <laughs> and I, I'm just trying to figure out what the allegations were against the crime yeah. against Stormy Daniels because no one's accusing anyone of committing crime against Stormy Daniels. No, nobody is. And, and, I, and I'll tell you no what. Explain that to her. No, yet, uh, no but, but I, I, I didn't watch the whole Pierce thing, but. You know, Joseph, uh, all the times I watch you on TV leading up to the arraignment last Tuesday, those four days, he was uh, he learned about the indictment on a Thursday. He was arraigned on Tuesday. All the, all the interviews you did from Sean Hannity to Al Sharpton to Chuck Todd to all of it, and you kept saying the same thing over and over again, which is, I'm an attorney. I've been in that courtroom a million times for real cases. I don't see anything here. And there was this belief from the other side that there was going to be something in that indictment, something we haven't seen yet from Alvin Bragg that was going to make it all make sense. And then the indictment was read, and I was more confused than ever. Has anything changed over the last couple of days? No. I mean, absolutely nothing has changed. I mean, the core of this case is rotten. Look, when you have the New York Times coming out with multiple multiple editorials in the last few days saying that this case is a travesty. Uh, here, yesterday's article, this, the Trump indictment is a legal embarrassment. The New York Times, which is not really, you know, you may know this, but they're not a big, big supporters of Donald Trump. Um, you know, it's unbelievable that this is, is something that we're actually dealing with at this point because, you know, th- th- this case we still don't know. I mean, astonishingly, their, their filings don't make clear what the core crime is <laughs> that would turn a filing misdemeanor into a felony. And and it's, you know, 16-page indictment we have. There's, you know, even a statement of facts that accompany it do not drop hints about campaign laws. And it's absolutely astonishing. It was at one point, I, I got to go back to you discussions with yeah. Sean Hannity last week. And again, this is not my deal. You're a great lawyer on that. But was at one point in the indictment that talked about that they may, there may be something else, depending upon how you read this, without being specific? Because no. it confused the hell out of me and really no, made it look like Bragg was reaching. It's nothing else. It's Stormy Daniels. That's it. That's all. And that's it's. There's nothing else. But here's what we don't know. You know, a misdemeanor case could not be brought at this time. It's well past the statute of limitations. So they had to cobble together a couple misdemeanors to make it a felony. And the way they did that was to say that, well, you know, the false filing um, becomes a felony when it's it's with the intent to defraud includes intent to commit another crime or aid or conceal another crime, right? The problem is in this indictment, in this statement of facts, in his press conference, not once did he answer what the other crime is. I mean, we're still at the point now, over a week later or about a week later, which we don't know which statute he's alleging <laughs> President Trump violated, whether it's state, federal, state or federal campaign crime, a tax crime, drunk driving, 
who knows? I mean, that's really how insane this is. In, a, in an indictment of this magnitude, of this yeah. rarity, of this yeah. importance, we're still left guessing what the underlying crime is, and that's pathetic. Now, did you, um, again, I, I ask this out of complete ignorance, but you and I are best friends for 43 years, so you'll let me know here. Did you uh, ask the judge to dismiss this case with a bunch of those motions? How does that work? I mean, it, I can't see this thing going to trial, or am I wrong? No, that, well, you, you shouldn't be wrong. I mean, anyone with a brain and an intellectual scholar or, you know, even people who say allegations <laughs> should understand that this case does, is not gonna, should not go to trial. If there's intellectual honesty, Sid, this case should not even come close to a trial, a jury. Um, it, it's legally insufficient, factually insufficient. There is no crime. You know, if we're, we're, this was a federal election. So if we're talking about federal election campaign laws, that's already been, you know, decided by the FEC that they, they did not charge a crime. Unlike with Hillary Clinton, you know, when she bought the steel dossier for $130,000 or whatever it was and, and, and paid with campaign funds as opposed to Donald Trump's personal funds and used that, that campaign fund to buy this dirt magazine, whatever the steel dossier, right, um, yep, from, yep. From, from the individual on dirt on Trump on the Russia collusion. You know, the campaign marked that down as legal fees. Is that unbelievable? Legal fees. Hmm. Now, if there's ever a misrepresentation, a false business record, that's it, because there's no legal fees involved hmm. in buying dirt. Yeah, right. and, and you know what the FEC did? She got fined. Right. She got fined. Right. Donald Trump, who pays with his own money on a completely legal civil settlement, winds up getting indicted. For something he had no at, at the FEC, understand this. We're the ones who would know. Come out and said the chairman of the FEC, former chairman of the FEC, said there's absolutely to file under the federal election rules. Yeah, and and so here we are, you know, with this unprecedented indictment that's based on evidence. So the motions we're going to be making, so we didn't make any motions yet. We just got the the documents. We're still waiting for the evidence. We'll make motions over time, including motions to dismiss, prior misconduct, selective prosecution, um, all a host of things. I mean, when you say selective prosecution, look at the example I just gave you, where there's a real mis- mislabeling of entries. Hmm. So is that is that where you want is that where you want now in this? Now you just got some of the documents. Now you're going to start to make these motions. Is exactly. that where you want? Okay, exactly. Yeah. Other motions, including potentially recusal motions because of conflict with the judge. Uh, you know, there's a whole host of things. Yeah, because people are still may, talking. Tack, people are still making a big deal about the venue, and I'm saying to myself, "Well, wait a second. Mm-hmm. If it doesn't go to trial." First of all, I thought you did the right thing. I'm sorry. You did the right thing with Stephanopoulos because you have other cases in that courthouse. You may see this judge again. Trump may hate his guts. That's fine. But I thought you did the right thing. But regardless, they're still talking about a venue change. We're nowhere near that stage yet, are we? Or are we? No, we're nowhere near that stage yet. We're nowhere near that stage. And, and understand this. Look, what's come out lately, what's come out recently since I was on with Stephanopoulos is the fact that the judge's daughter, and again, I have no issues with this judge at all, but the judge's daughter works for the Biden uh Harris Uh-oh. campaign. Uh-oh. I mean yeah. that's you know there's an appearance of a conflict there, Brad. So <laughs> anyway, um, you know, we'll see. We're gonna make all the right motions that we have to make, Sid. And that's what we'll do. And it's 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 as simple as that. All right. mean, well I'll have you know, to ask you this great. because you know, again, I'd have you on no matter what if you represented a ham sandwich because you're my best friend for forty three years. But you are the guy representing Trump. You sat there with him that picture, again, is historic. I, I know for me, I, I, I made a copy, but I'm not going to lie to you. And I want you to sign it. But uh, I'm being serious. But uh, as you sat there with the president, you met him the night before. He arrived on Monday night. You guys obviously must have met Tuesday morning at Trump Tower, whatever, some last-minute things. You went to court. I know he went home after that. 
But being you were with him, only you would know this, Joe, amongst other people. Tell us what he was like. Was he competent? Was he nervous? Give us President Trump definitely, Monday night into Tuesday. Not nervous. I wouldn't nervous is I've seen someone try or to write that. Yeah, I think it was like one of the MSNBC or something. Like, oh, he's nervous. He he was he looked shocked. No, he was angry. He was angry that he was being thrown into a process that's purely political, being hauled down to to literally one hundred center street, you know, the belly of the beast on a on a trumped up case, pardon the pun based on the, the, the weaponization of the justice system by political opponent. He was angry, but he was also very confident. He, he knows where this is going to end up. And, and look, he's a tough guy, right? I mean, he's just a tough guy. And, and so this is, doesn't buckle his knees. He, he wasn't happy. He, a few times he said, I cannot believe this. I can't believe where we are right now. Yeah. And I looked at him and I said, I, I can't either. I, re- I really never thought it was going to happen, right. despite the fact that Bragg was obviously heading in this direction. Yeah. Now, what about, know, I mean, what about this other case that you're doing with him, with that lady? At uh, Goodman, is that is that yeah. next week or when that's is that? Going to trial in a few weeks. Yeah, that's going to fe- trial in federal court in a few weeks. So, so has we'll he said to there. you? Has he said to you? Because look, originally you were hired to do that case, but mm-hmm. clearly President Trump is impressed with you. Who wouldn't be? And all of a sudden, you're sitting there, lead counsel for the Bragg thing. He's got three other things out there. He's got Georgia. He's got January 6th, Mar-a-Lago. Uh, are you now part of all of that, or just these two cases? Or do you not want no. to tell me? That's up to you. No, 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 I'll tell you, I'm just part of these two cases right now because I, what I can't do as a lawyer is, you know me, I mean, you know how I practice. We go all, Chad, myself, Matt, we go all in, all in. So I can't do five cases at once. I need to focus on this trial that's coming up, um, which I feel very strongly about, and then the, the, the other case for him. The case in Georgia is being handled by some attorneys in Georgia, the, the D.C. investigations, just an investigation. There are other attorneys handling that. So, you know, I'm, I'm staying, staying narrowly tailored and focused on the job at hand and, and that's it i'm not in every case and, and i can't be in every case i mean it would not be it would reduce substantially reduce my effectiveness to be spread that thin. so sure. i want to you know give 110 percent on the cases i'm involved in i tell you my favorite they're, they're part ones, huh? yeah no these are two very important ones yes my favorite part i, I know it's been 10 minutes already but it's like one minute because you're so good but my favorite part of all this is when some of these uh, different uh, outlets or newspapers, they do kind of like little bios on you. So, for example, the day that Trump was hauled into court, they did a whole thing on who's Joe Tacopina. And they talked about you growing up in Brooklyn. They mentioned Cosmo and Josephine. I love that. Uh, they, yeah. they talked about your soccer teams and your, your law firm and all these things. And then uh, the USA Today did something very cool. It's on YouTube. You guys should check it out. Very similar to that. And they showed pictures of some of your former famous clients, people like Meek Mill, Alex Rodriguez, all that cool stuff. And again, yeah. talked about the man that is Joseph Tacopina. I, I know if, you're, if your parents were both here, they'd be incredibly proud. My mother, she, she fouls over you, Joseph. But uh, seeing those things, it's got to be pretty cool for you, yes? Yeah, yes, Sid. But, but my feet are, are firmly planted on the ground. Yes, it is cool, you know. But on, then on the other side, you have the, the the super ultra left wings who try to attack all things Trump, so they'll take a shot at me. Yeah, like like they, they said, oh, he's like a mob lawyer. Why? Because I'm Italian. I mean, they did they did say that. They, 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 they called yeah. you that, and they also said that the whole 
law team hates you, which I know is not true. Not yeah, true. Of course. But that's what they do. That's what they try to do. They did this with other lawyers in the Trump team, that they try and create division, and, and it doesn't work. I mean, the lawyers in this case are terrific. Uh, Todd Blanche and Susan Nicholas. Susan and I have been friends for 25 years. Todd's a great guy and a great lawyer. And it's really a good, very formidable group. But there's no dissension anywhere. I mean, not within our team anyway. Um, but, you know, the, the, the racist comments and stuff like that. Look, if I were Ben Crump, who's a dear friend of mine. I love Ben. You know, he's the, the, the black civil rights yep. attorney yep. that works on all these cases where, you know, there's police brutality and whatnot. And, and, and someone made a joke about his ethnicity. They'd be canceled. Right. Game over. Right. Game set and match, right? right? But, you know, I guess if you're dying, it's Well, you know what's racist. funny about that is, see, you're very sensitive to that. And you came up, you always come up in conversations with me. Your ears must be ringing because my favorite TV show ever, I'm sorry, is The Sopranos. In fact, I don't think anything comes close. And for years, you'd go on Amazon and say, I can't watch that show because they stereotype Italians. So you take that stuff very seriously. I mean, now look, you know, culturally, I'm very tied to the Italian community. I'm a, I'm a knight in Italy. Um, and, and so, you know, the mob stuff is not my, my – I'm not, you know, a big proponent of that. Right. that anything that stereotype is wrong. Look, it's entertainment. It's fun to watch. I don't blame anyone who likes to watch it. I just choose not to. But, uh, then, but, 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 don't, you, like but don't you but don't you admit uh, in dark places – that every Italian is either a lawyer or a mobster, to be completely honest. <laughs> yeah, yes, that's true, but well, it's not right to, to stereotype like that. I mean, look, I was either going to be a lawyer or a capital. There's no question about that. I mean, so. <laughs> you bastard. I know you. That's funny. <laughs> no, I know, I know. They, 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 they do step. But you're right. Ben Crump, it would be a huge deal with you. It's not that I mean, big imagine, a deal. Imagine yeah. saying something yeah. derogatory about Ben. I know. You know. Him. I mean, the show would be canceled. There'd be a congressional hearing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Biden would say something or try to say something. You know, it's, uh, it's unbelievable. But yeah, that's it's okay. true. I, it's true. My skin is a little bit too thick. My track record speaks for itself. You know who I represent, and and I my results are my results. So any of those those haters are just jealous haters. I don't I don't care. Uh, there's no I doubt. Really, I don't lose much sleep over. It. And you shouldn't, because you uh, you really are the best. You're the best in the business. You have been for a long time, and uh, your, your record is is the best. And your your clientele is uh, impressive. Uh, Donald Trump is just one of many who you've helped along the way. I'm really proud of you. I love you. You've been great these last couple of weeks. So thank you for hopping on again today. We'll do it again at the end of the week. How does that sound? Okay, brother. Welcome home. Thank you. I love you. Thank you, Joe. All right. Love you, too. There he is. Famed defense attorney, President Trump's attorney. Most importantly, my dear friend of 43 years, Joseph Takapina. What a three hours, folks, huh? Good three hours? Not even close to being done. This is sit in friends in the morning. Friends, how many of us have them? Friends. 77 WABC. So we didn't make any motions yet. We just got the, the documents. We're still waiting for the evidence. We'll make motions over time, including motions to dismiss, prior misconduct, selective prosecution, um, all a host of things. I mean, when you say selective prosecution, look at the example I just gave you, where there's a real mis- mislabeling of entries. That's my dear friend of 43 years, one of Trump's attorneys, Joseph Takapina. That was with me moments ago on this show, New York's number one talk show. Takapina was kind enough to hop on. As you heard, uh, they're getting ready. Once they go over the rest of the, (laughs) he says evidence, there is none. Uh, They'll start uh, with the motions, motion to dismiss and all these things. And that does bring us, by the way, I did read John Stossel. 
You know, he is that TV guy. He's a bit of a jerk-off, but he wrote a uh, editorial in the New York Post yesterday where he, and he hates Trump. I mean, he hates Trump. Hates him like Joy Behar. But he actually said in the column that the country would be much better off right now if Trump was in charge and not Biden. And he listed all the things that Trump did well and all the things that Biden hasn't. But he did say, I counted three times in the column, that Donald Trump is a horrible person. What do you mean horrible person? I mean, I, I know Trump. He's, yeah, he could be an idiot and a hole. I get it. But horrible? I don't know. Horrible person to me is like Osama bin Laden. I don't know about Donald Trump. But either way, the reason why Tacopina's quote there is good is because Michael Goodwin, who's anything but a horrible person, he's a great man and a tremendous writer for the New York Post, wrote this not that long ago. Is that really all there is to the Trump indictment? How pathetic. And uh, certainly me and Takapina agree. Here he is back again. I love this guy, Michael Goodwin. Mike, good Monday morning, pal. How are you? Uh, very good, Sid. Thank you. Nice to have you. I know you heard that quote from Takapina with me about 15 minutes ago. And, uh, you know, reading your column, of course, uh, uh, we, a lot of us thought, I spoke to you right before, uh, and Dershowitz, maybe they were going to unveil some surprise, maybe something. And we got nothing last, tu- uh, last Tuesday, nothing. Well, that that remains uh, sort of the the takeaway that uh, you had to believe that, uh, given the stakes, given the historic moment, that Alvin Bragg, even Alvin Bragg, would not sort of come to this gunfight with a knife. Uh, but in fact, he came with a paring knife. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, it, it just makes no sense why he would push that out there and say this is. This is it. This is really the smoking gun. I mean, it, 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 it really was pathetic. And, you know, all along we heard that he was going to use a novel legal theory. We knew that it was somehow about Stormy Daniels, and he threw in Karen McDougal and an unidentified doorman also receiving hush money. But you have to then listen to him when he talks about how this cheated voters in 2016. So at heart, he is going back to Trump was illegitimately elected. Now, once you go down that road and then you're left with these hush payments, uh, you look like a fool. Yeah. And that's what Alvin Bragg yeah. looks like. The, yeah. I mean, there's so if, look, if you want to go down that road, what about the steel dossier that Hillary Clinton funded? What about her emails? Or if you want to go down that road, what about in 2020 when Joe Biden uh, and, and those 51 signers of that Russian disinformation claim about Hunter's laptop? What about Joe Biden saying, I never talked to my son about his business or my son never made a penny in China? What about all of that? So, I mean, if you're going to go down the election road, you can't just pick and choose something that happened in 2016 and say this is a crime, this is disqualifying, and nothing else matters. I mean, that that paints you as a partisan. And that paints your prosecution as a political prosecution. And I I think uh, that now has caught on. I think a lot of people who came in hoping for more were disappointed. And I don't see how Alvin Bragg salvages this Mm. with one exception, and that is the New York courts. That the New York courts 
will hate Trump as much as he does. That, that, that's yeah. what he's banking well, that's on, it, and New York jury. That's if it goes to trial. Takapina seems to think it may not go to trial. But I will give you some alarming evidence against what you just said. And I know it's MSNBC. You can't, you can't trust them. But according to them, the latest NBC poll, 45% of people on April 1st thought Donald Trump was guilty. On April 10th, 50% think he's guilty. And when that go, what that goes to, Michael, is something that is a lot more dangerous and powerful than evidence or Takapina or Alvin Bragg, and that is Trump derangement syndrome. You wrote about it just yesterday. Quote, Dems play same old hand, the Trump card. Joe Biden blamed Trump last week for Afghanistan. And my sister, who's a very smart, smart lady, agrees. So this Trump derangement syndrome thing is very powerful and could even have people in America believe that what happened last week was right. And they do. Believe it or not, they do. Consider that Alvin Bragg got 83 percent of the vote in Manhattan, despite running on a campaign that he was essentially going to decriminalize everything short of uh, murder, um, which he has done. And he's still the D.A. Uh, Look, I I think there are other polls, too, Sid, that show uh, upwards of 80 percent of Democrats favor this prosecution. Now, they, not, I'm sure you know, only a, a relative handful have read the documents or heard the debate. They don't care. They just want Donald Trump to be the Well, I'll make, it wor- I'll make it worse for you. I've spoken to some of those Democrats who have said, let me tell you something. We know this case is a joke, but believe me, there are five ongoing cases right now, five. Takapina's got a rape case out of Bergdorf Goodman. One or two of those have to be real. So we don't care about this case. Basically, he got last week what he deserves because he's a guilty man regardless. They know nothing was nothing was last week. They don't care because they feel like he's guilty of at least one of these five. Well, and, and that's where we are as a country. Now, to my knowledge, only three of the remaining cases are criminal. Uh, the rape case is actually a civil case, strangely enough. Yes. Uh, but but no prosecutor would touch it. That's what it means. Uh, but uh, I I do think that that is what's driving this, and that is giving the, all these Democratic prosecutors that is giving them the buoyancy to continue, knowing that they will be popular among the people who would vote for them. And, and I think that's all – I think Merrick Garland falls into that camp. I think Merrick Garland, the attorney general of the United States, is a bitter partisan hack. And he – I mean, you look – and again, maybe Donald Trump did something wrong. But did Joe Biden do anything wrong with documents, right? Or, or are we supposed to ignore that Joe Biden had classified documents Scattered around various places, houses and offices. But you don't hear any about that. You don't hear any leaks coming from his special prosecutor. You don't hear any court cases. It's all about Trump. So here you have the Justice Department investigating two presidents, one former, one current, for the same issue. Do you think they're being treated the same? Not even close. No, you're 100% right. So I thought about you quite a bit the last couple of days. Uh, My family, we went to um, London on Tuesday. My daughter goes to a college in Wales, about two hours away from London in Cardiff. It's a lovely little town. So we flew into London. We spent two days, Michael, in Cardiff in Wales with Ava. Then we spent two days in London. 
And uh, it's a big, bustling city. We stayed in the theater district, just like New York. On my corner was Mamma Mia, Tina Turner, the Lion King. You can walk down the block, meet somebody from Italy, from Germany, from Brooklyn. We had this. It's the same thing, I'm telling you, except, except there's no guns. There's no violence. There's no homeless. There's not people walking down the street smoking drugs. There was not uh, people, you know, naked in the streets. There was no public masturbation. I took the subway twice. Never saw one homeless person. And all I kept saying to my wife was, you know, I'm trying to like Eric Adams here. I'm trying. But I got to tell you, it's one excuse after the other. You travel to other major cities around the world, and they don't have nearly the same amount of problems that we've got. Why can't somebody get something done here? As soon as I landed, Michael, I was like, wow, I'm sick of the excuses. Why? No, I think that's an eye-opening experience. Uh, I, I think when we're in New York and New York only, we begin to feel like this is the way it has to be. But when you go somewhere else and you see it's not that way, you say, well, why does it have to be this way in New York? And I think there there are there are reasons why this has happened. There are a, a complex web of, of laws and regulations. But I think ultimately, Sid, it comes down to leadership. You know, it, it, if you have a mayor who will not tolerate these things, then you have a mayor who will get things done. If you have a mayor who is going to make progress, as Eric Adams did, and then basically say, see, we made progress, things are good. <laughs> They're not, uh, there is progress, but it's not nearly enough. No. And you have to see this thing through to the conclusion if you want to save the city. I mean, you know, the, the, the COVID experience of remote work and remote living has, I think, put an extra burden on the mayor uh, or, or any city that has problems. People are going to leave. They don't have to be there anymore. And if you don't recognize that, I mean, employers want people in the office, but they can't force them because they're afraid they'll lose them, and then they won't be able to replace them. I mean, this is a a sorry state of affairs, but the mayor is going to have to, I think, fight harder, fight louder. He's going to have to work with the governor to demand the legislature change these laws. He's going to have to work with the Alvin Braggs and, and tell them he's going to out them. He's going to campaign against them. That's all they ultimately care about is they care about the will of the voters. Eric Adams has to get the voters on his camp. He has to turn them into an army so that they can shake up the Braggs the legislative leaders, he has to be loud about this. He has to take chances. He has to be a fighter. And I'm afraid he, he'll, you know, he'll fight the first two rounds, but he won't fight to the finish. No, that has that's been the history. Fear. No, that's what it looks like. You're right. I mean, even on the show last week, I had the mayor on the day before Trump was hauled into court, and he actually commended Alvin Bragg on doing a good job. I mean, come on, Eric, you kidding me? So that brings us uh, to the conclusion, which is the governor and this uh, state budget which is uh, still not there yet. I mean, I know bail reform is a major sticking point. I guess that's good news. But uh, another uh, another postponement, where are you with Kathy Hochul and this state budget? Well, look, uh, I think if Hochul doesn't get some of the bigger things that, that she's pushing, such as uh, increasing the number of charter schools in the city, uh, some uh, no no new income taxes, and uh, changes in the bail law. I think if she doesn't get at least two of those, 
she's then, I think, something of a lame duck, because it will show that the legislature, not the governor, is really running the state. Which, by the way, we saw a piece of that when LaSalle wasn't confirmed. So right there that well, day, it. right? Yeah, I mean, no. right, Cuomo, that would have happened unto him. Is it fair to assume, Mike, you're in line with all three of those things you just mentioned that she needs to get done, all three? Absolutely. Yeah, me too. Uh, and I think that she's doing some other things that she shouldn't do. But, I mean, this, the housing thing, trying to take over state zoning. Terrible. is a huge mistake. And she wants to increase a business tax, an, employ, an employer tax, uh, which I think is another mistake. I think she hasn't figured out the MTA. I still don't feel, Sid, overall that she knows what it means to be governor. Uh, that she's still acting in many ways like a substitute teacher, you know, that she doesn't she doesn't have the full range of aims and ambitions and the, and the team to get it done. She she's kind of tiptoeing yeah. around and still trying not to break the glass, still trying to find where the restroom is. You know, there's a sense that she's not fully a fighter in the way that you need to be. Now, I I. I do not want her to be like Andrew Cuomo, who fought just to fight, who fought out of personal animus, who was who was a bully to people. You don't need to do that. We have had effective governors who who didn't you know, they knew how to use their power without being offensive about it. I mean, Rockefeller, for example, there's this famous story about Nelson Rockefeller. He's trying to get something done. He calls a legislator in the legislator of his own party says, uh, no, I'm not going to do what you want. And Rockefeller says, well, I, I, I could, I could uh, give you something. He says, what could you give me that I don't have or can't get on my own? And Rockefeller looks at him and says, I can give you a primary. And wow. meaning I will fund yeah, yep. your opponent. Yep. I will yep. fund your opponent and you will lose your job. I love he that. He got what he wanted. Yeah. That's what a yep. governor with power does. You effectively use that power to carry out your agenda. Hoko doesn't do that. No. No. And I don't think she knows how. I think you're right. And then uh, getting back to Cuomo for one second, a second lawsuit filed yesterday against Cuomo and DeRosa and uh, Melissa on this nursing home stuff. I wasn't here last week, but I heard Janice Dean was on with John on Friday. And, of course, she's furious, and she's right. She's a 1,000% right. I don't side with Cuomo even 1% in that battle. I'm on Janice's side all the way. But a second lawsuit now comes out yesterday. Are we getting closer to maybe some repercussion, maybe? Well, again, back to Kathy Hochul. She was she she met with the families. Something Cuomo never did. I think Janice Dean was among them, um, and she promised that she would appoint a commission to get to the bottom of this. Well, she appointed the commission, but it it has not reported back. She pushed it until well after the election, and here we are. What is she waiting for? I mean, this is the kind of thing. This is this. This qualifies as low-hanging fruit. Mm -hmm. People want this. Yep. This was a terrible thing that happened. Um, and, and, you know, look, I was, I was involved. I got the first letter from a reader, a woman named Arlene Mullen from Long Island, whose mother died. Arlene Mullen is a very smart woman. She found out about this order before anybody in the media. And she alerted us, the Post, and we were the ones who first asked Cuomo about it. Mm. And until then, nobody really knew how, why, these, why the hospitals were dumping these people in the nursing homes. And it, it turns out 
that the nursing homes were forced to accept them. Yeah. You know, if you go back and read that letter, that, that order now, said, it still shocks the conscience. It would not mm. let the nursing homes even test these people to mm. see if they were still positive, lest they be discriminated against. Mm. I mean, it is, it, it's unbelievable. Yeah. With COVID, they did that. Andrew Cuomo did that, and he has never fully answered for that. Never. But he did get his $5 million book yes. deal. Yes, and I believe, yeah. along with Ronald Kim, the assemblyman from Queens who helped lead this fight, that the two things are related. He wanted to keep all the COVID deaths secret in the nursing homes because he was writing a book, because he was going to run for president, because he didn't want any bad news on his watch true and uh biden blamed trump for afghanistan and cuomo on this station blamed trump last week for the nursing home deaths when we know that president trump sent ships here right i mean he said and and not and cuomo didn't use one of those beds not one instead he stuck them in nursing homes anyway i can't thank you enough i, I could talk to you all day that's how great you are a tremendous columnist really great on radio too my friend michael goodwin what a great job this morning thank you so much my pleasure, Sid. Thank you very much. My man, Michael Goodwin, New York Post. How about that? What a great conversation. Right, we'll take a short break. Got lots more to do. We're going to play that game. It's a Monday morning, a sunny Monday morning with me, Sid, on WABC. Seventy-seven WABC. This is Sid and Friends in the morning. But you say he's just a friend. Oh, you're my best friend. Seventy-seven WABC. Oi. Oi. It's always great to be on with you, Sid. You educate New Yorkers better than anybody. So thanks. Oh my God, thank you, Alan. I love you. Thank you. Good sure. luck tonight, my God. But Alan Dershowitz says stuff like that. I just, I want to cry. I mean, it means that much to me. I don't know why, but it just does. Well, you can if you want. Go ahead. Wow. You educate New Yorkers better than anybody. That's Alan Dershowitz. You want to stand that? And I give up forever to touch you. Because I know that you feel me somehow. You're the closest to heaven that I'll ever be. And I don't want to go home. All I could taste is this moment All I can breathe is your life And sooner or later it's over I just don't want to miss you tonight And I don't want the world to see me Cause I don't think that they'd understand Alan Dershowitz, I love that guy. That was awesome when he said that last Tuesday. And look, folks, I'm going to say it again at the risk of pissing off some people. It is what it is. But the Michael Goodwin conversation today, 24 minutes, Joseph Takapina, you're not getting that from any other host in this town. Nobody. 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 It is not. Bo Deedle on Tuesday, the Bill O'Reilly conversations on Thursday, which they're not getting it. They're not. So you can talk all you want about uh, this one, that one, and Sid this and Sid that, but. Poop is in the pudding, 7.6. But I guess poop is in the pudding? Poop. I said the poop is in the pudding. Well, yeah. that's disgusting. 
It is disgusting, isn't it? I don't want. I don't want to be picturing poop all day. <laughs> no, you pudding. don't want that, do you? No, because pudding looks a lot like poop. I think I love Michael Goodwin too. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Like um, I I had this. Um, well, I still do, of course. Mm-hmm. Miranda Devine. Right, but he's. I think he's surpassed Miranda as your favorite New York post. Hard, hard. My Miranda, don't forget, wrote a blurb in my book. Right. That's a big one. She sat next to me and Danielle, her and her husband, at the 100-year WABC gala. She sat next to me, actually, too. That's right. That's exactly right. She uh, she loves the church out of Australia. <laughs> That's one of the yeah. reasons. <laughs> Any music band out of Australia. She's cute, too, by the way. And she has a great accent. She sounds amazing. Right. That's the best thing. And she's been with me longer. So I'm not I'm not sure I'll go there yet, but I'll say this. There was a while there where she was secretariat, and now this is more like affirmed Alidar. <laughs> you know what I'm talking oh, about. Oh, that's yeah, an it, unbelievable tight. analogy. Yeah, thank Sid. you. That is crazy. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to hang that up in my garage. Again, something no one else at this station. Who's going to do that? Uh, no, nobody. Do they even know that Steve Corton was a jockey for affirmed? Steve, of course not. <laughs> Steve Corton. Of course not. Go, go hey, through Steve. your old Sports Illustrated, hey, everybody. He was on the cover, baby. I remember. Yeah, I know. I had a subscription at the time. Me too. Yeah. You know what's funny about that? That year, Christmas, my sister Alana... Well, usually talk about negatively because she's an idiot when it comes to politics, but I love it in pieces. Aside from that. Yeah. Her and her husband, Harry, for that Christmas got me a subscription to Sports Illustrated, and the first one I got delivered to my house was a 16-year-old Steve Cawthon as the sports person of, of the, the year. year. Yeah. And that picture, by the way, is yeah. actually life-size. It was life-size. Yeah. It was that small. Very funny. Yeah, <laughs> yeah very good. I, I do want to uh, send a shout-out uh, on a sad note to one of my favorite people, who loves this show, loves the show, and everybody loves this guy, everybody from Williamsburg to Howard Beach, my dear friend uh, Charlie Marino, he lost his sister, Loretta. Loretta died of cancer. She was 57 years old, and according to Charlie, quote, she was a very, very big fan of yours, and he's sad today, so we're sorry, Charlie. We love you, Charlie, and we're sorry about Loretta, and thank you, Loretta, for all the years uh, listening to me and you can still listen up in heaven. You just have to get the free WABC app, I believe, right? Yeah. It's I free. Think, I think they give them away up there. They probably give it away yeah, for yeah. free up in heaven, yeah. Well, so. You hope so. God rest your soul, Loretta. We love you, too. And we love you, Charlie. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Boy. Now it's time for Sid's Take. Good luck. It's Sid's Take. Sponsored by Fearless Boilers and Pavilion Tankless Water Heaters on 77 WABC. Alrighty. Happy Monday morning. 9.43 on this very, very beautiful Monday morning outside here in Midtown Manhattan. Justin Ellick here, your host for the Peerless Spoilers. Sid's Take Trivia Game. Again, sponsored by Pete Morgan and Peerless Spoilers. Go to PeerlessSpoilers.com, PavilionTankless.com to find a deal near you. They are the world's best built boilers. Our contestant for the game today, Kurt, out in Port Jefferson. What's going on, Kurt? How you doing? I'm good, good man. I'm good, I'm good. Excited, uh, excited you're up uh, nice and bright and early and... Uh, Ready to play the game. Try and beat Sid here, okay? Okay. All right. It's a a Monday, which means the game will be movie-themed. Some movie trivia today. Are you ready to go? Sure. All right. Here we go. Number one. What horror movie in 1978 introduced the villain, Michael Myers? Halloween. There you go. Spectacular. Very good. Well, they'll get a little bit harder here, Kurt, okay? Okay. Number two. 
Two infamous villains from well-known slasher series went head-to-head against each other in this 2003 horror film. Uh, Freddy Krueger mm-hmm. and... Hit me with it. And Jason. There you go. Spectacular! Freddy vs. Jason was the film, two for two, on to number three. The 1990s saw two mob movies co-written by Nicholas Pileggi and directed by Martin Scorsese, Goodfellas, and what Vegas set film? Casino. There you go. Three for three. On to number four. All right. Ellen DeGeneres voiced what character in Finding Nemo and its sequel? Story. There you go. Five. Four for four. On to number five. Beavis and Butthead creator Mike Judge wrote and directed what 1999 workplace comedy? What year? 99. Ah. Uh, the office. Now. Uh, the office was a television oh. show. Correct answer there would have been office space. Kurt, how was your holiday weekend? It was very good. Yeah, what'd you do? Spent time. Uh, we just hung. It was very quiet. Very quiet Easter Sunday. Very, very good. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you had a good time. And uh, four for five, not a bad showing out of you today, Kurt. So we'll put you on hold here. You get a chance to hear the big guy's effort. And he's back. Hey, Phil. I'm uh, happy. Today is going to be gorgeous. I'm going to lay naked. Yes. Completely naked. Is that legal? I don't think it is. No. But I'm friends with the mayor. <laughs> I'll be completely naked on a bench right by the water in Battery Park, where there's benches right outside, literally on the water by my building, which is nice. It's not as nice as the ocean. I miss my house. But I'll take the um, the river today, 66 and sunny. And uh, it's been a half hour. You need to pivot and shift on the- <laughs> <laughs> before you get burned. When you see me on Friday, I'm going to be like darker than Joe Pinion. Okay. Oh, yeah. my God. That's very dark. I know. He's a black but man. 80 and sunny every day. I'm yeah. going to be outside. I'm sunning myself every day. I'm so excited. You have no idea. I'm right. getting an idea. Uh, well, you got to get the week started on a hot note here. you got to go five for five to win today's game. Okay. How do you feel about that? Nervous. All right. Number one. What horror movie in nineteen horror movie in 1978 introduced the villain Michael Myers? Oh, Halloween! There you go. Spectacular. said, "What horror movie?" I'm like, uh, "Horror movie." <laughs> uh, Debbie Dirt. <Durst. laughs> <laughs> Taboo Fifty Three. Hey now. Number two, two infamous villains from well-known slasher series went head-to-head against each other in this 2003 horror film. Oh yeah, it was Jason Voorhees. Mm-hmm. From Friday the 13th. I think he took on Freddy Krueger. Spectacular! Yeah. I only know this stuff because Danielle loves these movies. I think they're idiotic, I, but I, I watch th- them all. I think they're stupid, too. Yeah, stupid, but I watch them all. I just watch them to see how many people die in the end. I watch That's them to have sex. Oh. Yeah. Okay. It's educational. Well, on to number three. <laughs> yeah. No, Who knew? Slasher series are an aphrodisiac. On to number three, the oh. 1990s saw two mob movies co-written. By Nicholas Pileggi and directed by Mort- Martin Scorsese. Nicky Pileggi, my boy. Goodfellas and what was... Casino. There you go. Spectacular. Three three. Is it only me or the part where Joe Pesci actually grabs Sharon Stone by the back of her head? I found to be horrifying. Oh. She throws his fa- her face in his lap in the trailer. 
That was yeah. horrifying. That's the the reason why, of course, he got beat with bats, him and his brother. Right. Again, but. I remember the, he was putting the guy's head in the vice or something. Oh, that was rough, too. Was, <laughs> oh, oh. You don't get that out of your no, head easy. No, no. You mother ever <laughs> tell me. <laughs> <laughs> don't make me do it. <laughs> <laughs> that that the dentist, That's pretty right? good, bro. That, that is pretty good. good. Dentist, Very good, Joe yeah. Pesci. Very good. Three for three. Tommy hey. and Goodfellas and Nikki in Casino. There you I'm go. trying to bang this boy from the five towns. <laughs> <laughs> God, you don't do me that Tommy, Tommy stuff. I do a lot of things for you, Henry. <laughs> That's great. That is really I good. I never heard that before. Yeah, do more good. of that. Do more. Lou, do more of that. What? what why? <laughs> I, I'm here to entertain you? <laughs> I'm a circus clown? Why don't you just go get tan and shut up, okay? You just go <laughs> yeah. dark in yourself. All right, you Tommy. Dummy. Calm down, yeah, man. All right. Tommy. We, we, we spent right. a lot of money in this, you mutt. <laughs> <laughs> three for three on the number four. Why did he shoot Stocks, though? Stocks was just tired, man. He was just tired. They were killing everybody. I know, I know. His, they wanted his cut. He laid for his own funeral. Yeah. Yeah. And he, maybe maybe he finished the coffee. Yeah, he didn't yeah. even know where the girl was. He woke up. Where does she go? I don't know what happened. Uh, yeah. You're going to be as tan as Caitlyn Jenner. Yeah, she looks tan. Number four. Number four, Ellen DeGeneres voiced what character in Finding Nemo and its sequel? Oh, come on. Nobody knows that. Everybody knows that. Nobody knows that. Kurt from Port Jefferson knew it. <laughs> Kurt knew this? Yeah. Or he Ellen looked, it, or he looked it up pretty damn quick. She voiced, um, oh, I know, it was the uh, the mermaid. Um, no, uh, the mermaid, just a regular fish. Yeah, that's right. It was um, <laughs> just, a regular, just a regular talking fish. Yeah. Selling the blowfish. <laughs> no. Uh, three for four. No. On to number five. In an attempt here to tie Kurt, number five. By the way, you don't win anything if you beat me. I'm sick of people sending me messages. I get my IM. I beat you in a game. Uh, even back to beat Bernie, God rest his soul. Yeah. You, don't, you don't win anything. We, don't we, give we any haven't prize. even been promoting any prizes. Right. You don't get any prizes. You get to come on the air. And <laughs> yeah. That's a big deal. That's, that's it. It's a big deal. It yeah. is. Talk to me. Your, your life's changed. Yeah. yeah. You don't even get to talk to Sid anymore. That's it. No, it's all you. <laughs> that's right. I don't want to talk anymore. Yeah. <laughs> talk to Justin. And that's yeah, all. you get to talk to me. Yeah, that's it. All right, number five. <laughs> Beavis and Butthead creator, Mike Judge. You know, I'm looking at uh, uh, huh? Caitlyn Jenner. I was Jenner. almost there. I'm, I'm looking at Caitlyn Jenner, and, I, and if, I, if I didn't know she was Bruce Jenner, of course, would I, like, think she's attractive? Uh, but I wanna, no, you don't want to go down this road. I don't even want to hear it. You do not want to no, go down this no, road. No, no, no. With all the admissions you've made today, you're going to cap it off with that? What admission? I, I racial profile on the, on, the, on the airplane every time. <laughs> Every time, I, 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 every one of you, I look at you, up sure. and down. Sure. I follow you to the bathroom sometimes, the whole thing. I look at your cell phone, wondering if there's a timer on the phone with a bomb on oh the wing. God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. What's should, the last one? Watch this guy. Watch him over there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Why are you, what are you watching me for? That's yeah. what I did yesterday. That guy in 23C, he scared the hell out of me. I'm God, just telling you, I was God ready to fight him. God bless Daniel. I will save God. the whole flight. 250 people I was about to say. You yeah. were ready to go. I was ready to fight. Go ahead. Beavis and Butthead creator Mike Judge wrote and directed what 1999 workplace comedy? The Office? No. The Office is a TV show. Oh. This is Movie Monday. Oh, it was, um, I know it now. Uh, Working Girl. No. The Office Space. That was a movie? Yeah, that was a movie. Was Steve Crow on that? Uh, no. No. Nobody saw it. Oh. No. All right. 4-3, uh, congratulations <laughs> to caller 1. Dory. And we'll come back and yeah. wrap things up right after this. Damn. It's Sid's Take. Sponsored by Fearless Boilers and Pavilion Tankless Water Heaters on 77 WABC. Talk Radio 77 WABC. This is Sid and Friends in the Morning. Entertaining and informative. Oh, you're my best friend. 
77 WABC. So basically, the theme of today's show was Sydney went away. Sydney went to a different country with a really big city comparable in so many ways to New York. Sydney loved that city and loved that country because that city and that country that Sydney loved had all the things that Sydney loves about New York and didn't have any of the things. That Sydney doesn't like about New York. Sound magical? Well, it was. So my question to Mayor Eric Adams and other politicians in this town and in this state is, why not us? Why not? Why do I have to... Look to my right, look to my left, look in front of me, look down when I hop on the subway in about an hour. I didn't do that when I took the underground tube in London. I couldn't drink a soda on the subway because of the stench. Let alone homeless people that are occupying the subways once again, once again, in big numbers. Big numbers, menacing, masturbating, doing all the things that no person should ever see in public. They do it all the time. Why? Why? Why, when I walk down a street in London that has theaters like New York City and hotels like New York City and residential buildings like New York City, cabs and buses and Diversity, I can walk into a person who's there from Germany or Italy or Brooklyn, just like we do here. Why is it that I don't see any feces on the street, not from a human or a dog? Why is it I don't see urine on the streets? Why is it when I walk down to the underground, I don't smell urine on a 65 sunny degree day like it was yesterday? Why is it I don't see homeless all over the streets, people talking to themselves half naked? walking on the streets of Westminster. Why is that? I ask again, why not us? Talk is cheap. We've heard it. We've heard it. Sounded great. But nothing's really changed. Has it? The weather's nicer. People are going to be in a better mood, scantily clothed, back on the ferries to Rockaway, out to opening up their homes in Tom's River. The Hamptons, Fire Island going upstate, all right around the corner. But guess what? It's going to be cloudy and cold again come September or October. We're all going to be back in the city. And all this ugliness will once again hit us right between the eyes. So I ask one more time, why not us? All right, that's it for us today. Great show. Five great guests. Lou Rafino. 
Man, I missed you guys. Lou, I missed you. Justin, I missed you. Noam, I missed you. I really did. Glad to be back. And we got a huge week of shows. Five great guests today, folks. Curtis Sleeper was terrific. Rich Lowry, Gordon Chang, Joseph Takapina, Michael Goodwin, all tremendous. Big show coming your way tomorrow, including my man Bo Deedle. So enjoy this gorgeous sunny day in New York City on this Monday. And God willing, at 6 a.m. tomorrow morning, we'll all be back. If you've had an accident, trust Gabo Law, personal injury and medical malpractice attorneys with decades of experience who will provide the attention you deserve and deliver the best possible results in the shortest amount of time. Gabo Law has recovered millions for their clients and will be able to help you. But don't take our word for it. Read all of their five-star reviews from former clients on Google, Avvo, and Facebook. Call Gabo Law today at 800-560-0214 for a free consultation or email at Info at GaboLaw.com. Gabo Law, where winning is no accident.